Welcome to the Mexibro Movie Show. This is a podcast about flautas and ninjas and menudo and explosions. Well, it's about some of those things. We want to take you on a journey. But before we do, we need to let you know that this podcast does include some adult language and content. So if you're easily offended, then we might recommend a different podcast. Surely Oprah has one by now. Thank you and enjoy the show. And welcome to the Mexi Bro Movie Show, where we use our love of terrible movies to justify our positive outlook of growing up in West Texas. We're your host, Fred, and Noel. How are you doing, Fred? I'm good. Good. Anything special happened to you this uh, week, weekend, month? I don't know. Nothing really. Just planning. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to take a little vacation uh, next month. That's all I'm living for right now. <laughs> Has has the man got you down with the job right now? Uh, yes, the man <laughs> is constantly bringing me down, and it's almost time for our yearly reviews at work. So I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, see what the man has to say. Right, no, that's cool, man. I'm I'm sorry to hear that your uh, your job is not as much fun as you know as it was when we were together. Oh man, well you know, don't you have like a a Newell or Noel 2 that you play around with up there at the store? Uh, no. There's no one quite like you. Oh man. That's that's so heartwarming. <laughs> Although there are younger versions of us at my workspace. <laughs> and I, and I just like look at them laughing at it, at their own jokes and stuff and I was like, "What a bunch of assholes." <laughs> Uh, one day they'll have a podcast too. <laughs> um, I was like, appreciate this time together. All right, man. This month's episode, we're going to talk about a special film called Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man. <laughs> Ice Cream Man. This movie was picked out by friends of uh, the Mexi Bros. They went onto the website and they picked out this film. Uh, they had a, a choice between a couple of other ones. This one won out by a hair. Uh, and so, <laughs> by the it, during our our meetup and look at we are going to offer a prize or of some Mexi Bro stickers. We're going to have a drawing from all the people who had voted. Uh, coming up after that, uh, we do have the Hot Mexican Minute with Uncle Rob. We do also have in the Dirty Launch Pad an interview with an insanely brilliant guy. Uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to, and, and uh, I think that if you're a music lover, you're going to really uh, enjoy what he has to say. If you have any kind of interest in recording or engineering, doing audio sound, this is a guy who, um, just through work ethic alone, he made a, a pretty good uh, case for going after what you want. So uh, I do have to, I didn't realize that he was more from the Midwest than actually West Texas, but he did live here for a stint. Uh, for a stint of years, so we'll we'll kind of clarify that uh, he is a West Texan transplant. But uh, so uh, his name is Brad Bell, and he was a really cool guy to talk to. In the Little Orphan Army segment, we also have uh, Flip Coggins. He's going to perform a couple songs for us and uh, talk a little bit about his songwriting process and where that stuff comes from. Uh, so a monster episode again. It's why we do it once a month only. <laughs> I think we should change the name to Monster Episode Podcast. We should change. Yeah, it'd be the uh, Mexi Bro Variety Show, like the Brady Bunch Variety Show. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. All right, so we're creeping up on to Ice Cream Man. Yeah, I watched <laughs> I watched a, a Mexican YouTube channel version of it. What was different? What did they? They just nothing. 
I mean, just the description. There's a un pelucula de el viejo de de Scream Cream. <laughs> All right. So this movie was directed by Paul Norman, who used the name uh, Norman Epstein. Now, the reason why I think this guy went to great lengths to use a different name was because this is his only foray into doing non-porn films. You may have seen some of his other work, such as Edward Penis Hands One, Two, and Three, The Erotic Adventures of the Three Musketeers, and his his infinite classic. Sperm bitches. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was a class act all the way. Uh, for some reason, was chosen to be the director of this film. He, he was an award-winning porn director, I guess. Uh, I'm not familiar with his work, but uh, Fred, yeah, this is more your territory. What do you think? Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I was probably more familiar with this guy's work than I probably was with like Steven Spielberg's work. <laughs> really? Yeah. When I when I pulled up like his clicked on his link in imdb i was like wow this guy's got an impressive list of work and then i started reading the titles and i was just like what the <laughs> like, I, like i remember watching all these movies with those giant vhs boxes <laughs> with the plastic clamshell so did, did you watch i mean did you really watch any of these films probably? i don't know back in the 90s i probably <laughs> probably seen some of them <laughs> Um, I didn't scroll through like all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy and surprised I hadn't seen any of them. But um, but uh, hey, man, you know <laughs> the guy was working. Um, okay, so it was written by David Dobkin, which is really funny because he was actually the guy who wrote Wedding Crashers and Fred Claus. You know, I, I mean, I, I, it makes sense because I didn't really like either of those two movies, especially Wedding Crashers. And apparently, the script was wrote. The first draft was was done in about three days. So he caught a bolt of inspiration and went on with it. So uh, the music was done by Richard Lyons. Uh, he really didn't do much. And he kind of, at first from hearing the soundtrack, I thought it was like Mark Snow, the guy who did all the stuff from the X-Files, um, <laughs> because it had a lot of the same thing. And I think they used the same uh, kind of uh, synthy keyboard that he, he didn't really do much as far as his, uh, his, his career. But notably, he was in this band called Negative Land. And uh, he he found this record uh, that was titled "If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think that I don't know why you'd want to make a such a suggestive title for your album, but uh, and he rearranged the words and sampled them and and made a, a song called "Christianity Is Stupid." And his band Negative Land was set to go on tour. They didn't have enough money to do it. Um, he then started making these fake press releases claiming that David Brom, who had killed his entire family, this teenage boy uh, who had murdered his family, had, had uh, become obsessed with that song. And, and because he had listened to it on loop, that's what drove him to murder his family. And it was complete bullshit. But the media picked it up and ran with it. And it, because of that, they were subsequently able to get uh, enough money together to, to actually book the rest of their tour and get out there. And it was because of that they designed their next album, where they, they made their next album called Helter Stupid, <laughs> which I really want to go check out. <laughs> and, and only yeah. recently, in the last, I, I think like on the 17th of this, this month, uh, he passed away. So yeah, so it was uh, the the mom from uh, Everybody Loves Raymond Prince, and then this guy. That was the three, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving him probably too much credit there. But um, cast wise, uh, you had Justin Enfield who played Johnny Spodak, the the somewhat hero kid. Uh, he was in American Pie as Milf Guy Number One. That was his other credit. Andy McAfee, who was Heather Langley, uh, she was in like a ton of The Land Before Times as Sarah, like the later incarnations, like between episodes five through like 14 or whatever. Uh, and she did Hey Arnold, and she's done like tons of voice work. 
and she is like way smoking hot now. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, that's not, you know, true. I mean, I'm just saying that she grew up to be a very good, attractive woman. She is my age, by the way. So, um, way to go. 1979, I guess. I don't know. And then there was Sandal Bergman, who was in Xanadu, Red Sonia. She did episodes of Freddy's Nightmares and was in Conan the Barbarian. So, um, she was the mom of, of, uh, of the kid Tuna. You know, the, <laughs> and then there was Jojo Adams who played Tuna. Uh, I think he was like in a couple of things, not really much. He was like in Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, at, and his credit is the party bully. And then he was in Bigfoot, The Unforgettable Encounter, which I couldn't tell if that was one of the other movies that the director had shot. So, <laughs> and then uh, we go into Andrea Evans, who was uh, kind of the the the, the tramp caricature character. Uh, she was on a ton of like soap operas, like One Life to Live, Passions, Bold and the Beautiful. She even did like old seventies TV, like Chips. Uh, and then Olivia Hussey, which is really funny. She was the uh, the weird old lady caretaker of of the main character, uh, and she was in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet as Juliet. So she really <laughs> her career took off, and then. I guess like the bright spots were at the beginning because this is one of the last movies that she did. Yeah, it was that could be said for a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> uh, and then, and then my favorite note of this was Doug Llewellyn, uh, who played the store, uh, the store manager. Doug Llewellyn. You might ask yourself, like the People's Court, Doug Llewellyn, <laughs> like hung out with Judge Wapner, Doug Llewellyn, and the answer is yes. That dude, he actually. <laughs> was an actor as well and uh he uh did uh you know i think he was like on christmas vacation and uh things like that but he he did he did this movie he had a spot that like i think he was in it for like all of maybe four minutes if that um and i and i had to do a double take because i was like man that dude and it, it was during the prime of the or, or near the end of of uh their stint of of uh the people's court so yeah uh and then we have lee majors uh detective Maldwin. Uh, he did, like, uh, P.S. I Love You, I think was his last movie he did. His career is, is most notable for, like, The Return of the Six Million Dollar Man the, and The Bionic Woman. He did The Fall Guy, The Love Boat. He is, of course, the son of Lee Majors. Lee Majors, the second versus Junior. I guess, like, I don't think in that aspect you're supposed to put it as a second. It's yeah. not, like, third. <laughs> yeah, he Lee Majors 2. It just comes yeah. across. It reads like a sequel to <laughs> Lee Majors. Yeah, really. I saw that, and I was like, what the hell? There's another Lee Majors? And then, of course, the hero, Jan, Jan Michael Vincent. And this has got to be one of the last movies that he was in before he had uh, whatever happened to his leg that is... Before <laughs> he had leg trouble. I guess, man. Uh, he, he was looking pretty rough in this film. There was a time when he was the, the handsome go-to guy. And uh, this is after that time. He was uh, he was he was pretty gruff and direct, and you could tell that at the end of the film. I think there's there's a couple of uh, reviews on it where they're just like you could tell he didn't give a fuck because he did not run out of any danger or try and he just <laughs> walked past people that were supposed to be presenting a threat. Yeah. And and you could tell that the actors didn't really know what to do with him. <laughs> they were expecting to fight him or something, and and uh, and nothing happened. So yeah, that was like. I don't know. Like, did you, you calling him the hero of the movie? It's pretty. It's, that's kind of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, because he was just more like. Yeah, I don't think he would have gotten in the car with Lee Majors a second when he picked him up that morning to work on this case <laughs> if he didn't have to. Well, I, I call him the hero just because he was an airwolf. So, <laughs> David Warner was in this movie. Yeah, uh, and, me off guard. And I, I 
couldn't understand that because David Warner is is a, he's an actual real good actor. I mean, like he was he was in Tron, he was in Twin Peaks, uh, he was in Doctor Who, he was in uh, Batman Beyond. He played uh, uh, Ra's al Ghul, and we had he was in Titanic as a special Lovejoy, Babylon Five. One of the best characters on that, where he was the the spiritual leader and he ended up being assassinated and and it was a really good episode i I can't remember what the title of that particular episode was but i mean he was pretty much like a a force on that one he was in briscoe county jr star trek the next generation he was in gal madrid which i think is that episode where captain picard is there going the awful lights (laughs) you know like and then uh uh, he was also chancellor gorkon in star trek 6 the undiscovered country so he was a huge uh, you know, actor. He you know he's done other stuff like a little bit more relevant to today. Um, the Amazing World of Gumball plays Doctor Wrecker. Uh, he was in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two, The Secret of the Ooze. I mean, just a, he's had a really varied b- and career, and you know is a bit of a British character actor. But I mean, uh, he he actually to me is is a little bit more legitimate an actor than most everybody else who was on the end of their career because he's acted way past all this stuff yeah i couldn't figure out what the hell he was doing in these mo- in this movie i mean i just it was kind of like whenever on star crash when they had who what was his name uh oh, God, why did i click wikipedia should have gone to imdb i hope this and everyone's on the edge of their seat <laughs> christopher Plummer. yeah you know it was exactly like christopher Plummer being in star crash like there was no real reason uh that he should have been there they should think they're lucky stars although he was completely underused maybe i don't know um he played some kind of exorcist or something and then of course we have our our here our our true uh i don't know hero monster i'm not really sure but you have clint howard who played the ice cream man gregory tudor and um clint is of course the brother of ron howard everybody knows that of course or should know that Uh, he's the odd looking brother that um and and I, I will say this when we were watching the movie um it was late at night and every, all the kids had gone to bed so it was me and my wife my four-year-old had snuck out of bed and came up to the living room and it was right at the very beginning of the film whenever uh, clint howard makes his appearance and he starts peering through the bars of the ice cream truck yeah and his face comes out almost like stretched out a little bit i don't know what effect they applied to make his face kind of like stand out from the light and I looked at my four-year-old as this happens, and he, he like was jarred. Like I mean, like uh, I could tell what his dreams were going to be out that uh, be about that night. So, and he just like he just took a step back when he saw that. So I was like, Ben, you need to go to bed, you know. And and he did. Uh, and so I was like, Hey, man, if that's the reaction that a, a child might have, this might actually be good. And I think my my son Ben. Um, probably now has nightmares for life for no reason so um clint howard of course you know he he's done a, a ton of things like he was in star trek um and he's done a couple of different iterations of star trek he was in the corbinite maneuver in the original series he also appeared in ds9 and he was in enterprise and uh, of course he did his i i, I like the role he did in apollo 13 i think it was very serious and, and it kind of showed off that he actually did have some acting skills when he gets uh frustrated about uh, whether or not they they have all the information or the the, the outcome of the the mission whenever they're coming back in, 
Yeah. And and uh, you actually see him as a human being, and, and I, I really do believe he's a great actor if given the right project, and and given the right direction, you know. But in this film, uh, no, not at yeah, all. Yeah, it's not like he seeks those out either. It's like <laughs> it's his just, choice. His choice in movies is always like this kind of thing. So he and and I was listening to the the As If podcast, uh, which is a, a podcast is completely about Clueless. Uh, they were mentioning on their show about how Clint Howard received the MTV Movies Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, the previous recipients were like Chewbacca and, and Jason from Friday 13. <laughs> and so he gets the award, and it's it's a gag award. It's not anything that's really, Oh, yeah. <laughs> he took it in earnest, and he was like, yeah. like really proud of it. And I think like they felt so bad about it, they stopped giving that award out. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's, it's really funny about how... Uh, I, I can't really tell about how serious he is with his career. Um, but, you know, hey, he, he, he's Clint Howard. He he can do whatever the hell he wants. I, I think somebody who looks generally as odd as he does, <laughs> who has worked uh, pretty consistently uh, out of the last, you know, 40 years uh, or 50 years, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, Clint Howard, uh, my hat goes off to you. So, uh now, we're going to do a little segment that's called Mas y Menos. And where we're going to try and explain the entire plot of Ice Cream Men, or the Ice Cream Man, whatever, uh, with five sentences or less. All right, Fred, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. Well, mine's a little, I did mine a little different this month. I, I wrote mine like if it was the description on the back of the VHS box. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I think it might actually be seven sentences. Uh, but okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it in the uh, voiceover of the guys that would do trailers for the beginning of VHS movies. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. He's like, "What happens when an adequate porno director makes his mainstream film debut?" You get the 99-cent store Goonies meet the smog strangler from Seinfeld. Gregory was just a typical kid who grew up in the 50s, even though everyone dressed totally 90s, when he witnessed his friend the Ice Cream King get gunned down in the street. After years in a mental hospital getting therapy by Pogo the Clown, he's now qualified to pick up the mantle of the town's demented good humor man. The Rocketeers, a group of unsupervised 90s youth, run afoul of the new frozen body part peddler while investigating the disappearance of one of their own. Can Lee Majors the sequel rescue these plucky kids with the help of Jan Michael Vincent in a role where no shits were given? (laughs) From Illumination (laughs) Filmworks and the director of the Edward Penis Hand trilogy comes Ice Cream Man. <laughs> that is actually pretty good. I, I don't think I need to follow that up with anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is the one time where I'll, I'll I'll forgo the love of hearing my own voice. So. <laughs> I actually like because usually when we do these, I'm like I'm doing it on the spot because uh-huh. I, I always forget that we do this, even though I, even though I think it's a good idea. I always forget to do it. And then last yesterday, uh, that it it popped in my head as like trying to describe this movie and it came out as a description like that. <laughs> I was like, that was fun. I may have to do that every time. <laughs> so, okay. Um, that, that made me like the movie even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like with that description, I would, I would actually watch it. Like, <laughs> uh, it was okay. So the general tone of the film is like that of an after school special. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, it's just not in anything. Like, I, I don't think the guy actually had it. I, I, I don't want to use the word, you know, I don't know. Like, like what's the, 
What's that thing where you can't feel the feels? Where you can't feel like uh, like Dexter? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like Dexter, you know. Like, uh, crap, what is that? And I use that word like daily at work. Sociopathic, maybe? Yeah, there you go. Okay, so he's like, he's sociopathic, um, in the director, because I don't know that he knew how to make anyone care or give a shit. And I mean, from the way that the movie is presented to the way that the actors emote, um, or I don't know, man. I, I really can't understand it. Was this was it a theatrical release or straight to video? I didn't even look that. Uh, up. You know what? I don't even care. I mean, like <laughs> uh, this movie had a budget of like two million dollars, and yeah. and you're just like, where did that money go? It was just bad. Like the, the general tone <clears throat> said it for me, and I couldn't figure out what uh, what was the the point uh, that they were trying to make. Like usually, if you have, there's like a moral that you can pull out of it because like horror films usually have that to guide whatever's happening. Something has has happened kids are being unruly or they're over overly sexual or they're being too um you know they're breaking some of the sins or something and then there's always some kind of retribution that comes from that um this movie didn't have any kind of direction or point to it yeah i mean i couldn't tell if gregory was a good guy or a bad guy right and and like i think the only thing that i walked away from was like there needs to be a bit more oversight and how we handle our mental health institutions in this country, <laughs> because it was it was really strange. I mean, like I don't even know where to begin. There, what were the things that stood out to you in this film? Uh, and it made me like this type of movie is a type that like I I would hate, uh, like you know, just that schlocky '90s straight to video type horror movies. But then, like watching it, like it made me really nostalgic for that time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it came out in '95, which is when I graduated high school. But like, it wasn't that far from like when I was the age of those kids, and I was just, I'm just like, you know, watching like these these kids just like running around their neighborhood, like having adventures. And I was just like, man, that's a different time than today. Oh yeah. Where, like yeah. Our, our streets are like completely empty. <laughs> or if there's you, like no kids running around. If you see kids running around, you immediately put your hand on nine one one and then yeah, hold you your thumb over protective services. <laughs> But yeah, but it made me really nostalgic for that time. Like, I like this movie for different reasons than I guess was intended when they made it. I'm just like, oh my god! Look at I like the fact that they got the kid named Tuna to him. He was named after a food to imply that he was the fat kid. Yeah, uh, I don't understand that because I was like, he's obviously wearing like not even a fat suit. Like, they probably strapped pillows to him. Exactly, and I was thinking like they couldn't even get a kid that was an actual fat. <laughs> they kid. They couldn't get a real fat kid. Because, well, because at the end they had it where he lost all that weight, which I don't know what that was supposed to mean. Oh yeah, like because it's not like they made it seem like you know he had a problem being the fat kid. Was that was the anxiety and fear about the ice cream man making him eat so much, and now that the ice cream man had been vanquished. <laughs> He was able to stick to a sensible diet and exercise. Yeah. I don't know, man. I like. Yeah, I just, I just felt bad for all the fat kids that were out there trying to get work and they couldn't. Do it. <laughs> they couldn't. They're like, well, unless you can lose all the weight by the end of production, uh, because, because that last scene is going to be integral to this movie. Where he could have been another hero for me. I mean, that could have been that could have been the kid that made me feel like the way I feel about Porkins from Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I thought you relate more to Small Paul. Than Small. Small. <laughs> oh yeah. AKA the wish kid, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin's wish kid. Oh, no. Okay. So, like, the kids get to run around and do stuff, which is, explains, which is, it's a pretty big driver of what the plot is. Like, they get to do their whole Scooby Doo thing, uh, kind <laughs> of, kind of. I mean, because even they don't really have a, a direction on what they do, they keep on stumbling into different parts of the plot, and yeah. nothing really happens when they do that. I mean, they just continually 
get in and get out and nothing really is learned. Somebody else might get abducted and it's implied that they die. And then later you find out that it's not. Yeah. I couldn't tell if he actually killed anybody until like towards the middle of the movie. I mean, I guess he killed that dog. Yeah. I mean, he but, his, but his ice cream always had, always had like body parts in it. And yeah. I was like, well, I guess, I guess he is killing people. They're just not showing it. I can, I can pretty well say, I mean, from there, there was a time in junior high when we were dissecting a, a cow's eye or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, some of the vitreous humor splashed up or, you know, and got in my hand and I wasn't paying attention. Uh, and I, I got it near my mouth and that shit cannot be mistaken for marshmallows, man. And I don't know why there's a, there's a scene where they feed the cop, uh, um, uh, some ice cream. They call it hard pack. I didn't know that that's a technical thing for ice cream. I don't know. Um, anyway, he, he, you yeah, got that part. They got the technical part of the ice cream, right? But <laughs> that's the only thing they got, right? Um, they, they get the eyeball and he cuts out a section of the eyeball which which would be gelatinous, but in this film, it's like it's just like a marshmallow, and they put it in there, and then they make a, a point to do a close up of of Lee Major's mouth, uh, or Lee Major's the second, <laughs> For like a minute, <laughs> and where he's he's sitting there playing around with the lens of the <laughs> eyeball and, and in between his lips, and you're sitting here going like, dude, you would know that that's not a marshmallow. I mean, that, there's no, re- I mean, like it can't be sure. Maybe they were trying to make that kind of like. They're making a statement of what kind of movie this is. Yeah. That maybe like none of the characters are going to be smart enough. So, <laughs> like, just put that away. You know, put that kind of expectation to bed. But because it wasn't scary at all. I mean, I don't even know. Like for '90s movies, it would have been scary, or maybe I'm just desensitized now. Cause the type of like straight to video horror movies you can get now. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did notice in the beginning was the <laughs> the, the black and white scene where they showed the ice cream man get gunned down like i was just like okay so it's obvious they got at least a couple of vehicles that are of the era but like everybody's dressed like in the same wardrobe that they have for the rest of the movie <laughs> except for like his mom like she had rollers in her hair and like the moo but like everybody else is just like hey man that's what i wore to school he's wearing like a quicksilver shirt oh, right. <laughs> acid wash jeans for the like the 1950s well, you know if you put it in black and white then that I just I just was shocked at how much they left that was undone and uh and, and still left in the movie, you know. <laughs> I don't think they had a lot of high hopes for this. <laughs> the asylum was an abandoned building that they had that they had acquired and then and then kind of redecorated and then put a bunch of people in white outfits to make it seem like they were patients. Uh, this building had apparently been previously occupied by a bunch of Satanists who left a lot of uh, graffiti on the walls that was actually like <clears throat> relevant to, I guess, the Satanism at that time. And they, yeah. they didn't have time to clean it up, so they just left all that stuff in there. So, uh, sect decoration was in part by actual Satan worshippers. So that might nice. be the most terrifying thing of the movie, depending on what you're religious affiliation is that, or that might be the most encouraging part of the movie, depending on your, your religious affiliation. So yeah. th- this movie is intended. I mean, there, there's all these rumors about a sequel, uh, ice cream man to Sunday, bloody Sunday. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to be something that actually happens. There's rumors one way or the other that it's still active or, or canceled. Um, mm. if it does, if it does come out, Fred, you, are you interested in finding out what happens? Yeah, I mean, I would probably watch it. I wouldn't contribute to its Kickstarter page. <laughs> and we finally found a Kickstarter Fred won't do. <laughs> yeah, I want to like, oh, fuck this. 
like I watched this one on a Mexican YouTube channel. I'm not, do- <laughs> not donating any further money to it because <laughs> uh, I saw the the first one, the first Kickstarter account that was closed, where they wanted four hundred thousand dollars, and they had raised like three thousand before it got closed. But it was fucked up because like that Clint Howard actually did the 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 salesman video for it. And I was like, that's a goofy motherfucker. Like, it, like he's got like the long string. Like he looks like, I mean, if you're saying like, you know, oh, he could do better if he had better material or a better director. And I'm just looking at this dude. And I was like, no, he can't. Like, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't want it. Like he knows, he knows what he's, he knows what his career is. Uh, and he's just, he's milking it. Cause he just looks so, he looks so weird. I just have the belief in the potential of all, all human beings. For it. <laughs> nah. I mean, I like Clint Howard. I like all, I like all the Howards. They're the most successful child stars that have ever been. Right. I think in the very end, whenever they try and hint at the next sequel, you know, I I was hoping that it would be over with way sooner. And the, and the movie's not that long. It's only like, what, an hour and 20 minutes, if that. Yeah. Like an eight and I'm minute. curious if we, if we saw an edited version, because I'm surprised that there isn't like, like, surely there was like some nudity or something there at some point, just mm-hmm. given the director and the time that this movie came well, out. Well, I, I think they were trying to shoot for a PG 13. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and unfortunately, because of all of the, the grat where he scoops out the eyeball and stuff like that, yeah. uh, they, they, they couldn't get that. They, they, if they had taken those things out, the movie would have just been. Um, that was almost cartoony. Like this is this was in the time where like I'm surprised that a Saturday morning cartoon didn't get made of this movie if it had been a little bit more popular. Yeah, I mean, it, it had like ice cream man on Fox <laughs> right after Camp Candy. It would have been an anthology show where the ice cream man, you know, Clint Howard would pop up at the beginning just like Freddy's Nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be like Scooby Doo. Hi, kids. His voice in this movie was. Well, yeah, I mean, like he was committed to the role. Apparently, before they would shoot, that's commitment. Yeah, no, no, he would, he, he would, he would get in his car and he would drive around and he would scream at the top of his lungs to get his voice super raspy. I mean, like he would just do this for hours. So when he get on, he'd be like, "I know," oh, and I was like, um, "I guess like the the Batman technology hadn't been invented yet to make his voice sound." I wonder if he like went to his brother and he's just like, "Do you have any?" advice for me going into this movie <laughs> just be like yeah don't don't do it don't be in this movie <laughs> the family keeps telling you like we can support you <laughs> yeah what do you, i mean i don't know don't have to do this uh how how many times did it take you to watch this movie uh i mean like probably start- probably like i mean because i started watching it like one the the first uh, well, I don't know whatever whatever it was you called me a little behind the scenes thing here because we were supposed to record it sooner than this so I, I was uh, I watched it I guess Saturday night I mean it wasn't like I didn't stop watching it just because of the quality of it I just stopped because it was getting late and I just finished I finished watching it a couple nights ago hmm. man I, and I mean I actually like I mean it, to me this movie wasn't as hard to watch as like some of the other ones that we watched and I think most of that was just, and and going into it. Like I was just, I had, I had that attitude. Where I was just like, "Oh my god, this is going to be so horrible." And then just for some reason, I just got, I really got. Not that it was a good movie, but just like watching it, I was just like, "Oh my god, remember those times?" Only last night did I actually finish and get to the end. Oh yeah. And I was just like, "Man, uh, for some reason, the film is, uh, it, it just ends abruptly. Um, you don't really have any heroes, and in the end, <laughs> did you did you think it was fucked up whenever like?" Uh, Whenever they're talking to that kid who was first kidnapped that got away, and uh, 
and he's like, well, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really have any friends. And then referring to their <laughs> other friend, small Paul, who got kidnapped, they go, well, we might have an opening soon in the Rocketeers. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that kid's murdered, so we have a new spot for a friend. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Hey, man, this ro- the Rocketeers, are, they're no joke, man. I was like, hey, this is as many members as we can have. <laughs> they have a very strict. If, if, if one of us dies, we can move somebody else in. One in, one out policy. We only have five berets, which is funny because, like, I always like I always wanted like when I was in in, in school, me and my friend Daniel, we always wanted to start a club where we would wear berets, and I actually we actually have like army surplus green berets. So, we, <laughs> so that's uh, another reason I was like, man, this movie is awesome. <laughs> I guess, man. <laughs> Uh, I would put it officially that this film is not one to watch. Um, me personally, I you know I I just I'm I'm optimistic one day we will see a movie that was really bad but in such a bad way like like in the way that Kung Fury was terrible but like terribly good you know yeah. and uh, and we'll stumble across that movie. Unfortunately, this one is not it. Uh, it just languished too long in bullshit. And it never established any of the motives for anyone to do anything. Go watch something else. Anything else. <laughs> Except for like the last five movies that we watched. I give this movie six enchiladas. <laughs> six out of how many enchiladas? Uh, five. <laughs> it's a full casserole dish. Oh, wow. Of enchiladas. I would just think like, if the, like they couldn't make this movie today just with the... like just, <laughs> They're like you know, I was like, "What a porno director is going to make a movie with kids?" And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> the, the court of public opinion would be in session so fast, right? Well, I mean, like back then, he used a separate name to do it. And, yeah, yeah. And the internet's not you know wasn't around. Yeah, it wasn't. It around. wasn't as prevalent. I wonder. Her no, nobody gave a shit like they do now. Yeah, like the kids that were in that movie, like that generation grew up be the people that would be pissed that that movie was made. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, man. He's like, oh, look at the state! Look at how they're portraying the, the mentally ill. Yeah, because I mean, they were—they didn't exactly take a lot of compassion in the way they presented these things. <laughs> they were, everybody in there was always getting like some kind of injection directly into the brain, into their brain. <laughs> yeah, and then by they, like John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Oh yeah, they had the uh, happy clown thing. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, was, I didn't get that. I saw that. And I was like, oh well, this is. This is what they threw in there because that's what that's, and they saw that in other movies, like how how the mental institutions are portrayed and are just like, oh, we're just going with the flu. <laughs> and just throw in a clown. People are scared of clowns. And so they were, everybody was just wandering around this asylum. But, uh, yeah, I don't hey, know. man, you ever watch that documentary, Cropsy? That's the fucking shit that happens. <laughs> I, I guess I, I need to go check that documentary out. It'll make this movie make more sense to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, like it's worse than this movie. They're walking around naked in that institution. Oh, fuck. With Geraldo. Uh no, that, that just made me sad. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you probably should watch it. Yeah, the social justice wiener in me is starting to activate. <sighs> to just to just be vocal. Yeah, just to start barking about things. That to Facebook. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. All right, uh, we're gonna take a minute uh, to hear a word from our sponsor. Then we're gonna come right back with the little orphan army. And we're going to talk to Flip Coggins, so uh, we'll we'll see you back in a few. Woo woo!
Have you ever worked on your computer and thought, that's weird. Where did this part come from? Are you tired of your computer crashing because your roommate won't stop watching videos of strangers consummating their friendship? Forever unclean. Does your computer run like I do? Dang it, man. Pretend there's a cupcake at the finish line. Do your children run while holding your electronics? Wee! I'm okay. Well, my friend, sounds like you might need the computer service experts at Jabberwocky Custom Computers. They are the repair experts for laptops, desktops, and even tablets. Jabberwocky can also build you a custom computer to cover your gaming or home and office needs. We're talking some custom gear at competitive prices. Mention this ad from the Mexi Bro Movie Show for a 5% discount, up to $100 for any service or purchase. Good until October 31st, 2016. If you need an expert, call Todd at 806-239-7598 or drop by their shop at 4630 50th Street, Suite 109A. For a full catalog of products and services, visit them at facebook.com forward slash Jabberwocky Computers. Tell them the Mexi Bros sent you. Welcome to the Little Orphan Army, where we feature a musical guest who got their start in West Texas. I'm in studio here with Flip Coggins. Uh, he's going to perform for you some of the best songs that you're going to hear all week. Flip, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me here. This is really cool. Flip just recorded some stuff here, uh, and uh, it was so beautiful. It was so much fun to hear this stuff. <laughs> Thank so you, where do these songs come from? A lot of, a lot of different places. So... You know, and, and talking about like diversity, um, I like to be diverse because it's just the way I express. You know, um, I, I was told once to to really hone in what style I want and what I need to be perceived as as an artist, and like a big part of that is just honestly for me diversity. And so when they were like stick to one gun, I was like, well, I know I I can't. You know, <laughs> um, and so you know, like the songs that uh that I, I play today are, are um, a mix of a lot of things, you know, War of Your Nations kind of like borderline revolutionary and, and thinking about just the state of, of our culture and, and maybe why those things are going on and, and how kind of backwards it is. And from that strife, uh, needing relief, you know, that song was written to just call it out and just say what it is. And, and then, you know, maybe look at what's the cause of that and, and maybe it's just this war mentality this whether it's like actual war or it's relationships or whatever it may be society you know we we feel like we have to fight everything and um maybe it's like just tell yourself stop right. and then the last song oceans was uh <laughs> was just a a purely like kind of like uh ironic slap in the face to west texas in a real like sexual way but like because we live in this dry like island of a town in lubbock um where we're six hours from practically anywhere um and it's so isolated but it's kind of like being you know on an island in the middle of the ocean and so in chasing love and and lust or whatever the case may be just talking to a girl using the old standard metaphor of like comparing love to bodies of water and oceans and rain and right. all of that and and uh and just being like well i'm gonna write a song like that and and just made this real short bluesy 
kind of uh, uh, love song about, you know, like, hey, why don't you join me in the water and let's have some fun, you know? You have a band called the Lotharios. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you're, you're currently mixing an album that's about to come out? Yeah, we, uh, we're wrapping this record uh, hopefully very soon. Um, we've got all of the rhythm tracks done, and we're wanting to do a lot of layers. Uh, the guy that is uh, producing it, his name's John Nelson. He's a, he's a Lubbock boy. Uh, but he uh, engineered, he's engineered a lot of stuff. But he uh, he struck my fancy because he did um, Dave Matthews Band's Everyday record mm-hmm. and their uh, Busted Stuff record they did right after oh, that. Wow. And uh, his approach is very purist. Like, it's it's very much just get your ego out of the way, get everything out of the way, mm-hmm. let everything be raw and natural and real. And then, you know, we go from there. And we're painting a picture. We're making a movie. We're not making a record. Right. We're making a movie. So if we want to create layers and texture, well, then we do that, you know, but we do it naturally. And his approach is just, it's really, really, really awesome. Um, so the record sounds really, really cool so far. Um, but we've got uh, a bunch of layers to add just because we want it to be nice and painted and, right. and, uh, and um, just full. So, but we're about halfway there. So, when do you expect the the album to be ready? Um, I wanna, I really wanna get it done uh, over the course of the the rest of the summer, and then shoot for a release in the fall, maybe like September. Excellent. If you have any time in the future to come check out uh, Flip Coggins, he plays all around town and and then some. I mean, Flip, where where can they reach you online? Uh, go to the website. Uh, you can go to uh, flipcoggins.com. It's P-H-L-I-P-C-O-G-G-I-N-S. And there's uh, links for videos, links for music. Um, buy stuff on iTunes. And, uh, and then we'll have dates up there soon. So just as a final thought, do you have a, a special area of West Texas that you like to draw inspiration from? Just a, a place that uh, that you get some kind of... Uh, recharge for the soul is there is there a part of west texas that you like to go to oh yeah so so i travel to austin a lot um and like lately i've been down there like every like once a week um during during the course of the past month or two and um when you're coming when you're going south and you're coming down off the cap rock there's this really weird thing about lubbock and its energy um and it can be very like repressive and 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 kind of like a lot of pressure, but it, there's literally something physically happening there with, you know, the cap rock and being up on the plateau. Um, whereas you get above sea level, it, it instead of it getting lighter with air, like the gravity just kind of goes like heavier. Um, I don't know what that is, but I feel it every time I come back into Lubbock. I feel it go away whenever I, I travel. See, I always thought that was me dreading going back. <laughs> right, <laughs> but but it's it's I think it's a real physical thing, and I mean because it's so it's so strong and. But when you're when you're pulling off the cap rock, um, like on eighty four, uh, there's this moment where like that release happens, and and there's like this hilly area, um, and like the transition between those two areas, I feel I grow more in that time mentally. That one like little forty five minute section, thirty minute section of of space time, um, I process so many things mentally in those times, and. I've come up with a ton of song ideas in in that little uh, area. So, like when I'm coming back into Lubbock, uh, it'll it'll do different things, and it'll do different things when I go away 
but it's an interesting place. I'm going to have to go check that out. Uh, yeah. We, everybody has to hit that route every now and then. So, um, you know, it might keep your, your, your mind open and your heart open just to see what it does when you're on the 84, uh, heading south. So we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, flip, it has been amazing to have you in our studio today. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Oh, man. Thank so you, if you, uh, if you're, when your album drops, please give us more info, info so that way we can get it out there and let the people know. So absolutely. Uh, thank you, Flip. My pleasure.
mistake made Speak for love, speak for truth Never to replace it Cause if you want to live as one You got to chase it Stop living For the one Of your nation Yeah, yeah Hi, Maxi Bros here. I have a feeling that nobody wants to look like Clint Howard. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know that anybody wants to look like Ron Howard either. So to avoid that, what you want to go do is talk to Angelo at the Louvain Salon. With over 20 years of experience in haircuts, styling, highlights, hair color, perms, and waxing, you'll be looking and feeling your absolute best. This offer is going away soon, but if you mention this ad by June 30th, 2016, you will get a 40% discount on a cut and a style. Make an appointment today by calling 806-474-2403 or stop by the Louvain Salon at 3624 50th Street in Lubbock, Texas in the Mediterranean Shopping Center. Tell them the Mexi Bro sent you. Limit one per customer. And welcome to the Dirty Launchpad, where we talk to a West Texan who is now in the music, television, film, art, or print industries, and find out what it takes to launch them onto their path. Uh, today, along with Fred, we have a special guest joining us all the way from Austin, Texas. Our guest is a sound engineer who has been working as a as the lead engineer or assistant engineer for some great bands, such as uh, Harmar Superstar, Spoon. Edie Brickell, Meat Puppets, Explosions in the Sky, Arcade Fire, Jet, The Dead Sea, Andy Martinez, so many, uh, just, man, there's just so many projects that you've been a part of, it's it's unreal. Uh, our guest today is West Texas's Brad Bell. How you doing, Brad? Hi there. I'm good, I'm good. Welcome, welcome. Thank, thanks for having me. Of course. It's, uh, it's, it's been a while since I've seen you, man. It's, uh, you, you lived here in West Texas for couple years i think all right where, where are you from originally i'm from kansas originally okay so i'm a i'm a you can call me a west texan but i'm sort of a kansas boy at heart i gotcha you're a transplant um yeah totally totally um let's see i lived in kansas until i was 17 or 18 and then i lived in lubbock from 17 until 22 23 something like that did you uh, did you attend any of the schools around here? No, I didn't go to school at all. Well, I went to I finished up high school there. I uh, went to Coronado High School. Went to Coronado. Uh, did you go to yep. uh, college or anything around this area? No, uh-uh. I did a little bit of college in Kansas City uh, during that period of time that I was living in Lubbock. I uh, moved to Kansas City for a little while. Um, but no, no college in Lubbock or anything. The, my college was Lubbock, sort of. So. I got you. <laughs> I think that happens to a lot of us, man. Um, yeah. Did you have a place when you were here in West Texas when you would uh, you would want to decompress, recharge, or someplace you found yourself going to on a somewhat regular basis? Um. No, not really, honestly. Um, I mean, I think that during that period of time that I lived there, I, I needed no decompression or recharge. Was, it was 
that was all <laughs> hanging out with friends, doing shows, playing in bands, and all of that good stuff. Uh, now that I'm older, you know, if I lived there, I'd probably have some secret spot. <laughs> um, Not even a place to escape the sandstorms. No, in inside of a record store, usually. <laughs> usually, where I worked when I lived there. So no. Which which record store was it that yeah. you worked at? Um, it was. I worked at a couple actually. You worked at University Records for a stint, and then um, actually Andy Martinez, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he and another guy, Nick Bell. Uh, and I started a record store, opened a record store for, I don't even remember the time frame on it, for a little while in downtown, downtown Lubbock. Um, <laughs> and then once I had moved to Kansas City and come back, I went and worked at Ralph's, Ralph's Records, the university location. So. Oh, right, right. Which is, uh, which is sadly no longer in existence, which... Gone, gone, gone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it, it tried really hard twice to exist on university, and it, it just didn't didn't work. So. Well, I, I think the idea was that it didn't fit with the uh, the motif of the uh, what they were trying to do, or what they're trying to do now. It was a little bit. Is that why they got rid of it? I, I, it kind of feels like that way. They're they're really wanting to redevelop it and make it seem more like uh, uh, what you'd find at maybe UT or something like that. So, um, yeah. So, so there's so, only one store available for Record Store Day yesterday? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Rec- and, the, and people were lining up at Record Store Day. Serious? Like oh, at wow. 7 a.m. I mean, it was insane. Wow. Um, <laughs> they did this there at Ralph's? Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, cool. Is Ralph's now selling records again? Or Yeah, no. They new, s- I guess I should say new records. They've always <laughs> sold records, but... They're, they're selling pretty much everything. Yeah, you can walk in there and if if they don't have it in stock that you can order it and they of course do movies and video games and stuff like that as well. So Cool. Nice. When when you were here was there was there somebody that you would work with? Did you have like a a mentor who kind of got you into um engineering or kind of helped guide your focus into something like that or Not at all. Um it was literally just came out of necessity. Um I was in bands when I was in Kansas, um, and I think that I had a four-track cassette machine at that point, um, so did a little bit of recording there just because didn't didn't really know how to make records, and it seemed like I could just make a four-track recording, and there you go, there's a record. Right. Um, so I think I, of course, brought that to Lubbock when I moved, and then... Uh, started playing in bands and met people, and then throughout that time, just uh, like I said, it was uh, out of necessity. Who else is going to record this crazy, weird, punk rock, metal, whatever right. stuff? And I had a four track, so <laughs> let's let, let's record some stuff. Um, so that's kind of what I did in Lubbock. So the, my mentor in Lubbock, at least, was necessity, and right. nobody else was doing it. So I just went ahead and did it, and um, that's kind of how I got started. Yeah, so that that's what you would say maybe drew you to the music industry in general? You just kind of got a lot of experience and then it kind of pushed you that way or um yeah i mean it's uh kind of what i knew best and all i knew how to do in a way um i didn't necessarily have any aspirations of making this a career or um, being you know as far as being a musician making that a career um but it's just what i what i enjoyed and 
what I knew how to do. So what, what kind of uh, resources did you have in order to kind of learn the process of, of sound engineering? Did you, uh, did, was it a lot of internet research or was it just a lot of trial and error or how, how did you get, I mean, cause I know a lot of guys who try and do engineering and, uh, and they don't end up where you're at. So how did you yeah. get that level of expertise? Uh, hard work and perseverance. Um, <laughs> like I said, it, it didn't really take off for me and become serious until I moved to Austin. And it wasn't even serious then. It was more a matter of I made the move to Austin and kind of sold everything that I had just because at the time the job market wasn't great. And um, I did end up taking a, a class uh, course thing here in Austin, um, and made some connections and learned kind of a lot of basic stuff, um, had more access to bigger platforms, tape machines and pro tools and things like that. Um, and then really what helped was the hard work. Um, I completed the course and then I stuck around there, uh, to clean toilets and mop floors for a while, a couple months or something. Um, and it just so happens that one of the studios that I was interested in interning at, um, I don't know if I had ever even contacted him before this or, or not. Um, he happened to live down the street from the studio and happened to walk in one day and needed an intern. And I, I was on a list of three or four people uh, that they recommended to him and then gave him a call and met him and then literally within uh two hours of meeting him at his studio uh he introduced me to another uh recording friend of his as his new intern uh-huh. um <laughs> so i kind of just got the gig yeah it was, can you say who i that didn't really expect it is it is, can yeah you say- it was yeah it was Stuart sullivan he owns a place called wire recording here in town um, Stuart has done tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um, Battle Surfers, Meat Puppets, he and Paul Leary worked together, and I think they still work together now um, occasionally, but he and Paul Leary worked together a lot over the years. They did the first Sublime record. Oh, well. Um, so he's got a, you know, the, the guy is awesome. Uh, he's got a wicked, twisted sense of humor, but the guy is... <laughs> He's a Midwesterner as well from Indiana, so very dedicated, very, sure. um, you know, work hard attitude, basically. Um, so that's that's really where it started for me, was cleaning his toilets and mopping his floors. Right. Um, and that's, maybe that's the difference between a lot of the people, like you were saying, that go into this um, and don't quite end up... Um, making it a full-time thing is I, I, I started it and I wasn't going to stop until it got somewhere. Right. Essentially. Wow. So that's, that's, um, we've noticed a common theme in, in talking with people, um, about that, you know, where, where their level of success was determined, you know, by how much of that they were willing to put themselves into it. So, um, yep. it was, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that, that falls right in line with, you know, everything that we've discovered in this podcast was, um, when you want something, you have to fucking go get it. <laughs> That's about yep. it. Uh, Cause I actually do want to go, uh, uh, back to school for audio engineering. 
uh, going to school versus just like learning it on your own or anything like that? I mean, is there would you still recommend like uh, like taking like full on courses or just like learning it like uh, just picking up stuff on your own or like what like how Noel and I are doing it just like by doing the podcast and like learning as we go with stuff like that? I mean, it kind of depends. Honestly, mm-hmm. it depends on the type of person that one is as yeah. far as going to school for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for many years, my gut reaction was to say, "Don't fucking go to school. Just mm-hmm. buy some stuff and start recording bands." Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like you said, with the work thing, it really is like you and in in the access to technology, the access to the tools that one would need to make a record nowadays are available. Mm -hmm. Um, They're everywhere. You can buy things off the Internet. There's freeware that you can record with. Um, So nowadays, to me, it's. You, you know, one who wants to go into recording bands, literally buy a shed and put some gear in it and start going to shows and have bands come record. That's it. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> and you just have to put in the hard work. Yeah. Um, so to me, you know, school, maybe like there's Berkeley, there's a ton of great schools out in the world um, that do this kind of thing. Um, if the slant is less music, more just strictly recording, I kind of lean towards buy some stuff and make some records. Um, if there's a market that's available, uh, or if you're, you know, it's a person that's in a market that there are studios that still exist in, mm-hmm. go knock on the door for week, weeks at a time until they let you come clean the toilet. Because that, the first month of interning at a proper studio for me was much more of an education than anything ever. Yeah. Wow. Um, because a lot of this world is the, the nerdery of... <laughs> microphones and compressors and gear and this and that and how this thing sounds and how that thing sounds. But realistically making a record comes down to dealing with people. Right. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like I would have been just as good, if not a better uh, recording engineer, had I gone for like a psych degree or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, that because makes, it is that, that brings that brings it <laughs> now i realize that you might have some non-disclosure agreements that you may have had to sign um do you have any unusual stories about people that you've worked with that that might uh that might give some insight into that you know no i mean i, I don't have any specific <laughs> stories um because to me everything that happens in the studio is completely normal like <laughs> um it's really you know you you when you deal with a band a band is a, is no different than a marriage uh-huh. and um, making a record is no different than making a baby sort of <laughs> right okay <laughs> um, so it's and and I think luckily me being married and having a kid now and, and all that kind of stuff I think actually makes uh, the perspective a little different as far as, you know, dealing with people. And, and I don't know if you can hear my child is crying in the other room. <laughs> my wife's with her. She's not alone. <laughs> I don't know what happened though. So, no, it's, uh, but, but anyway, it, it a, really that's is that's like a common sound for us. So. Yeah. Actually, okay, I've, good, I've got good. three kids, man. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Good, 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 good. So, so yeah, it's really, um, it's really interesting. Uh, any of the, I don't, so I don't have any like, Oh, this person went crazy. All those kind of stories that I have are stories about other people that are fairly w- well known in 
the music world anyway, you know, people being divas and whatnot. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I've been lucky enough to have worked with people who who are great people, creative people. Um, so I don't, I don't really have any story, any so, crazy studio stories. So. so can you can you describe uh, a little bit about what a sound engineer does in in in, in some relation to that? Because you're, you're working with all these really creative minded people, and and sometimes you have to reel them in just a little bit because you know. The, they're always going to shoot for the moon, right? And, and that may not always be possible. But what what is your experience in starting and going through the process with them? Um, I've, I think I've learned a lot over the years uh, doing this because um, I worked with everything from super green bands that have never been in the studio to bands that have made you know twelve records. Um, so it differs with everything. But the biggest biggest job of a recording engineer, to me, is to be a facilitator. So if somebody wants to do X, Y, Z, then you figure out a way to do X, Y, Z. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every situation is a little different. Like I said, sometimes a band comes in and just wants to track one song, and um, you come in, you set stuff up, you get some sounds and you play the song a few times and people talk about it and you change things and back and forth. And that's just sort of the process as it goes. So I don't know if I'm answering your, your question in full, but <laughs> I mean, that, that, I mean, that gets the meat of it. Um, you, it's sort of like, I believe, or I feel like, uh, a lot of what I do is sort of, a seems like it's sort of mysterious and, um, a lot of people just kind of either find it mysterious or find it to where it's something that like they would never comprehend. And so they don't invest any energy in, in, um, understanding it or, right. you know, trying, trying to figure out what it is, but it's really not that mysterious. I mean, there's, you know, some technical things with gear and how things work, but, um, my, my biggest example is people will come in and look at the console, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the, the mixing board, the recording console, and they will just, you know, jaw drop and kind of like, <laughs> how do you know what all those buttons do? Yeah. And it's more daunting than it really is because you, uh, when you when you actually break it down, it's one channel and it does all this stuff. Well, every other channel is the same thing. Right, so right. you learn one thing and you're good to go. And, right. Um, so you, so yeah, it's you know it's just uh, it's not that mysterious. <laughs> do you do you have to approach it like with within a day to day like you're starting a new project? How much planning goes into that from from defining what the band needs uh, to actually executing, you know, the capture, you know, is how much planning goes into like, let's say your average band walks in, wants to do one song. Uh, how much planning goes into that? Uh, it kind of depends on the band. Cause I've done bands where there's absolutely no planning. They come in and they whip out the song and it's no big deal. And the, sometimes the same thing happens. And then we sit around all day going, why does this suck? It's like, well, because you guys didn't rehearse the song. (laughs) You're not ready for this. Um, The more more I've done this, you know, the more time I've invested in it, the more I am sort of active at making a plan going in with just about everyone that I work with, whether or not they're unwilling to make a plan or just unaware that a plan needs to be made. So I take that role on more now. 
um, where generally at least I have an idea of where we're going to go with things. Um, and that makes it easier for everyone in general, but me specifically, uh, cause I don't, I don't really enjoy working 12, 14 hour days. All right. <laughs> um, and bands often, the, the younger they are, they are oftentimes they do working those sort of schedules, but I've done this long enough to know now that that kind of thing is really counterproductive after a certain point. Right. Um, so like I said, I'm more apt to sort of steer things nowadays um as far as things getting done and things being accomplished um a lot of times now with bands we'll 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 get together beforehand we'll talk about uh reference material we'll we'll listen to records of other bands that okay we're trying to capture this sort of thing um with this song or with this record Mm -hmm. um a lot of times that happens with mixing as well mm-hmm. um, cause I do a lot, a lot of mixing, uh, where this, as a matter of fact, the other day I've uh, got some files from a guy and he made a Spotify playlist, um, with just, you know, eight to 10 songs on it. Um, that sort of captured sort of the, the, the vibe that he wa- wanted, mm-hmm. uh, for his, for his record. And so that gives me a good idea of, Oh, okay. Um, I'm not going to make this sound like Steely Dan. I'm going to make this sound like, (laughs) you know, dreamy, dreamy, like kind of washy synth pop stuff or something. Right. That's pretty, uh, that's an interesting concept of being able to dial in. um, It's where the, it's where the technical meets the artistic, where you can, you use that to bring out the soul of the project. Um, I, I imagine that that requires a very specific, almost connection to to feelings you know i don't uh, do you do you have an emotional content that you're reaching for when you're going for that or is it you just define it as we would say red blue green and in art you know okay this is a color of this emotion these are the settings i'll use for that is that how it works or is it something different i don't know honestly i would say i would say it's probably a hybrid of things um because i spend a lot of times making sure the things sound good um I wouldn't say I'm the best at making things sound um, emotional. Uh, I try as much as I possibly can, but I sort of allow that to be uh, to come from the band. Sure. Um, but there's certain certain things like I may EQ certain things um, a specific way to sort of evoke. Uh, moodiness you know there's like low mid stuff that i may eq a lot more of overall and that's your that's your like weight that's your darkness that's your you know heavy emotion kind of stuff so if something's really uh, somber and sad there's going to be a lot of low mid stuff low, Hmm. low mid information in it so there's you know there's certainly aspects of that um but like i said i tend to uh, tend to leave that up to the band a little bit. Like sure. if, it's, if the song, if the song doesn't portray any sort of specific mood, feel, whatever, well, I, you know, I do my best to, to, to capture it in a way that it, that comes across correctly. Sure. But, um, I, t- I tend to kind of leave that up to the band a little bit. So, yeah. When I was looking at your allmusic.com profile, like you have a, a, a big list of like just of impressive artists on there that, that Noel had sent me, but the one that really stuck out to me that, I never thought in a thousand years I would ever see on on a profile like that that I'd, I'd talk to anybody that that worked with them was uh, you were the engineer on uh, Harmar Superstars Bye Bye Seventeen album. Yep. 
uh, which I, I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of him in general. But that album's probably like my favorite out of everything that he's done, just because it's more of like a classic R and B style, where it's like it sounded like he had like a big band in uh, in the recording and everything like that. Do you have any memories of that or any any anything about like working on that album as far as the sound and anything like that? Um, well, I mean, the biggest thing I remember actually is being extremely excited to work with him. Um, mm-hmm. and this actually ties back to Lubbock as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Um, right. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the world, the world is small. So <laughs> when I was sort of on hiatus from living in Lubbock, and I was living in Kansas city. There was a band called Calvin crime that was off of Amrep records, um, I wasn't living there, but they came through and played a show there. Well, when I moved back to Lubbock, I think was when I was introduced to this band via friends who had booked the show or gone to the show and what have you. Um, and I loved that the band was awesome. It was like one of my favorite things. It was, it was kind of this weird hybrid of, of noise, metal, rock, just uh, spastic energy. Um, so I really, really, really liked the band. Um, and I knew Sean, or I didn't know him at the time, um, mm-hmm. but I knew Sean had gone from that band uh, to do Sean and then was doing this Harmar thing. And then when this project came up, it was, it just was crazy. Like, it's just awesome. Like, <laughs> oh, this guy that I never got to meet did this band. It was just incredible. Um, I kind of contained myself. I didn't, you know, act like a fan, <laughs> fan, fanboy. I mean, it wasn't like I had to contain myself, but I'm, I'm generally not much of a fanboy anyway. But it was just exciting that I was actually going to get to work with him um, on this project. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't think at the time that I had seen him live, but maybe it was during the making of that record here in Austin. He was doing a residency. Um at the Mohawk, I believe. And after seeing his live show, it was just, it was crazy. I don't know if you've seen him live or not, Fred. I've seen just in YouTube videos where like, he just like takes his clothes off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, now I got to go. So check he's, so, yeah, he's, he's awesome. he he's is awesome. great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's great. He's to hear that, that um, come out of that body. It's amazing. <laughs> And, and there's no trickery with him. Yeah. That oh, is yeah. him. Like, that is him singing. It's crazy. And, and to me as well, it's crazy to have been in love with this previous band that he did that was just mm-hmm. sc- pinched screaming and yelling <laughs> to go to this soulful, um, you know, guy who whips his dick out on stage. You know, <laughs> like... <laughs> But he's super, super sweet. He's got this yeah. hilarious, I won't even try to mimic it, but he's got this hilarious, infectious laugh that um, is, is really awesome. Um, he, was, he was a joy to work with. Um, and I, I don't think I signed a non-disclosure, but he was, I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. I do, I, the highlight, one of the highlights of that session was actually, uh, he was in the vocal booth doing vocals. And uh, it was Jimmy, you know, and I, and we were working on that record. And I think at some point we both looked up into the vocal booth and he was down to his underwear <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing the vocal tape. That is so legit, man. That's awesome. Which he brought it. He pretty brought, awesome. He brought the magic of his stage performance into the booth. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, <laughs> and I think uh, Sean has, Sean has a number of friends and people in town and connections to Austin as well. So he's always around and, and coming through here and whatnot. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it's, the whole experience was awesome. Uh, you mentioned the horns, and I think I think a lot of that record was tracked live as far as rhythm section. I believe a lot oh, of the horn horn stuff was oh, overdubbed, mm-hmm. um, but the horn stuff was overdubbed as a as a group. Wow. Uh, all the horns got together and played um, in in the same room and and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. But that was a really really fun record to make. Yeah, and I've yet to listen to his new one, but apparently it's become um, more more refined and maybe a little less tongue in cheek uh, oh, yeah. with with things. So I I, I want to check that out, but I yeah. have, haven't heard it yet. So, but yeah, that was a, re- a really fun record to work on. What what, uh, so what other projects on it? Because that was an, that was an awesome record. So congrats yeah. on it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what uh what other projects ha- have you stand out to you? What are you, what are your favorite ones that you've been a part of? That oh. Gosh, my wife and I get into this all the time because I, I, I hardly I don't do favorites. Um, I gotcha. I'm, I mean, that was a great record to work on. I really loved working with Edie Brickell. That was awesome too. I think the ones that always stand out are the ones where you just really enjoy being around the people. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lightness to the mood, and it's really just a, a group of good folks just hanging out and right. somehow the, a record comes out of it basically <laughs> so was that was that one of her steve martin records or was it one of the uh, hers no i don't i i believe this is how bad i am at keeping track of things i, I kind of always look forward and i move from one record to the next and there's a lot of times when i'll work on a record and i actually don't even own the record once it's done right um <laughs> but this would have been um i believe her first solo release um, was out a couple of years ago, and I vaguely remember it being a matter of she really wanted to get her kids uh, raised and off, you know, to school and out of the house, and then kind of go back to doing the music thing. Right. Um, so I honestly couldn't tell you what the name of the record is, when it was released, or anything. Um, but it was done several years ago, um, bef- before the Steve Martins. Oh, I got you. So I got you. All, all, yeah, it was her, um, and then a cast of amazing players, and then I believe Charlie Sexton was producer oh, on wow. the whole whole record, producer engineer, um, and whatnot. So you know, like I said, it's just it was just really good, enjoyable. Uh, great people to yeah. just hang out, hang out with for a few days, That's sort of awesome. thing. So, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of Edie Brickell. My wife is uh, as well, you know. So we we play a lot of her records around here. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. She just seems like she's so laid back and mellow, and and uh, she uh, really is. Wow, super ta- super talented, super positive, super happy. Like a lot, there was. A lot of laughs yeah. in, in that session, like memorable laughs and whatnot. And she's actually from Dallas too. So I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh wow! I didn't know that. <laughs> she's originally originally from Dallas. So yeah, she's very familiar with uh, being here in Texas to make a record. So that was that was certainly one of the. Um, it may have been the first and only pay, payment check that I made a photocopy of because <laughs> um, she's married to Paul Simon. So yeah. I got a check. A check in the mail from her that's that was Paul Simon and Edie Brickell, and I oh. said, "Yeah, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta copy this for posterity." So, wow, this is pretty pretty cool. So. Know, somewhere along the way, I, I I think I knew that, but it, just hearing you say that makes me go like, "No shit, that's yeah, amazing." 
pretty awesome. That's so, crazy. Um, um, that made me think of another another one that I kind of forgot about. But the uh, Big Station by Alejandro Escovedo was mm-hmm. uh, produced by Tony Visconti, um, who, if you you know music at all, has worked with Bowie or had worked with Bowie for years. Just a very kind of um, engineer's engineer. He he right. he really created a lot of things, a lot of sounds, a lot of techniques that are actually still used to this day and, oh. and, and l- lusted after. So <laughs> he came down here to work with Alejandro on that record. Um, wow. And so I worked with him and Jim on that record as well, and that was another really enjoyable one. Also, Alejandro is is also a hoot. Like he's just really uh, super nice guy, super great to be around. All all his band is really awesome as well. So um, that was certainly an, an enjoyable one That's too. Cool. So. so you got to learn a lot from like just somebody who has who's. A master in the craft, almost. You know, you get that. That's always. Yeah. That's got to be an like a an unparalleled experience. I mean. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, um, I, I kind of really. Um, there's times that I miss the early days of what I was doing because during the early days of what I was doing, I was doing a lot of assisting, and I was doing a lot of assisting for a number of different producers and different engineers. So I would work with you know, three or four, five, sometimes different people, uh, every month. Um, and that is really a huge learning experience because everyone does things differently and everyone has their own little tricks and whatnot. Um, so I learned a lot of, a lot of stuff during that period of time. And, and now it's, it's fun, but I'm, I'm making my own tricks now and, um, I have my own set of skills and whatnot. So, um, it's, it is, it is really enjoyable to work with other people hmm. all, all the time on stuff. So you would, um, you, you don't catch that. I mean, when the music industry, especially on the technical side, you, you would, you don't always hear about the stories or the things that would define an, an important quality to have is, uh, people skills, you know, being able to, to communicate and talk to people and, and, uh, yep. and, uh, that's, that's really interesting because the most engineers I've met are, are usually lacking in that department. So uh, I'm, yeah, it might be a good idea that, to, to brush up on those things. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like I said, I, I kind of at times wish that I would have just gotten a psych degree and then went, went into recording because it, <laughs> it really is. How do you, it, you know, it's tough enough, uh, like say in a marriage, it's tough enough to, to negotiate life, you know, existing with another person. Well, you think of a band as a marriage and right. there's four, four people in that, equation and then you have to deal with four four personalities for a week at a time um if if you don't have people skills you're you're just not going to make it you know extremely far in the recording world specifically because that's you constantly have to deal with um people and then the other thing is you're dealing with the the most vulnerable exposed side of creative people at times. So you're not just interacting, you know, on a, on a base, you know, ones and zeros level with people either. You have to know how to talk to people, how to communicate things Hmm. without stepping on toes. And then you've also got to know how to communicate musically with people and, or at least hear um, another person's communication of musical things. So, 
So you kind of there's a lot of a lot of stuff involved in it. That's amazing. I, I mean, that, that's that's the perfect kind of insight. So, I, I mean, it, those are the things I think that would point probably to you know what kind of experience you you probably want to attain before you try and get into something like this. You know, and uh, yeah, and you have to what what kind of expectations should people have? You know, for getting into it. I mean, obviously, you're one of many many people competing for. Uh, very finite amount of work. So what, yeah. what, what kind of realistic expectations should people have in trying to pursue something like this? Um, a lot of times, it, it doesn't happen quite as often now, at least, but I would get people um, that would want to intern or that would ask me, how do I get started? My first question is, well, are you a musician? Do you play something? Um, if their answer was no, I would say, take a year off and learn how to play something. Because that's key. Um, I'm not the greatest by any means. I play bass and a uh, little guitar and that kind of stuff. So I have enough of a knowledge in that, but at least I have some sort of reference as far as music goes. Um, but if a person goes into this thing thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't need to, you know, it's okay if I don't play an instrument. It's it's going to be okay for a while, but like you said, there's a you know a small market and there's a lot of people trying to grab at it. So if you're one of those folks that has some stuff and you record, but you don't understand music, it's it's not going to work out in the long run. It's going to be a tough road to hoe. So right. Um, so really, you know, being a musician is a big part of it. Uh, the hard work is the biggest part of it too. I think like. If you don't want to put in the 12, 14 hours making records and you'd rather, uh, you know, spend your time doing something else, it's it's not for you either. It's um, it's tough, you know. There's a lot of times that I don't want to be there for 12, 14 hours, but we are in the thick of things and things need to get done. And <laughs> it just so happens that on hour 11, the band is finally locked in and warmed up. Well, I'm going to call my wife and say hey it's going to be a couple hours we're, we're we're going hot now and we'll just keep going so it's you know it's kind of like anything like you're saying a lot of people you've talked to it's that's one of the common factors is hard work and dedication it's um if you don't want to live it then then don't do it do something else so. <laughs> hey man that's good advice <laughs> yeah um hey fred you had one i think uh because, you know, we are the Bad Movie Podcast, so, uh, Fred, why don't you ask? Oh, well, I was going to say one thing, oh, too, yeah. actually, Go as ahead. far as um, just encountering interns or, or, or people that want to do this kind of thing. A lot of times I think that part of the mystery of, of, um, of movies and all that kind of stuff when recording is portrayed a lot of people come in with the idea that it's fun like oh this would be a fun job and i I get that statement from people when i say oh i'm a recording engineer they say oh that's that's got to be a fun job man it it is the the one of the the funnest jobs ever but it's also work i think that's one thing that differs between um people who do it and people who want to do it is that um it's, it's not easy. Like it's long hours at times and, um, you're constantly, constantly wrangling something as well. So it's just, and it, it ties back into what we said earlier. It's work. If yeah. you want to put in the dedication of work, then 
you know, you, you can make it happen, but right. otherwise, so it's fun, but it's, it's work. It's not just sure. walking in and hanging out with rock stars and, uh, no. and making magic on, on tape that, <laughs> you know, people buy in record stores. It's like actual <laughs> get down to business shit, you know? It is. So there is that part as well where you, you know, you, you hopefully at least are, you know, hanging out with rock stars and having fun, um, in general, but you can't just walk in the door and do that right away either. Um, and then there, there are also those fun moments where you have to be thinking three steps ahead of what are they going to want to do next? Like it's, it's a job, you know, it's, it's work. So, it's fun work i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't uh you know quit and go work at walmart or something but (laughs) (laughs) this is certainly the the funnest job i've ever had for sure that's awesome but it's it's you gotta put in a lot of work to get there so yeah so since uh uh, we are a a bad movie uh review slash discussion podcast we just usually ask all our guests um do you have any uh a uh, bad movie in mind that you can think of that you think would be a good uh, discussion for us. Uh, that's just really bad. That it makes you wonder, like, how did this get made? Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I actually thought about this question for the whole week because I, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I have, a, like I said earlier, I have a hard time, you know, picking favorites and things. Right. And so yeah. even well, yeah, to pick the, the worst of something is hard <laughs> for me. Um, because what there's, if we, what if we told you if you picked one, you might win some stickers? Uh, you're going to send me stickers. You're going to send me stickers anyway. Come on, <laughs> he's a hell of a salesman. So um. uh, I, I mean, I, I really don't because uh, I, you know, like tell me, tell me a bad movie, like. Tell me a bad movie. That yeah, you that's guys a hard question. That's a hard movie. question for me. It's an easier question for Noel than it is for me. Just yeah, no. I tend to. I, I find something good and even like really bad movie. I, I've said this. Yeah, I, I can be kind of an asshole when it comes to movies. Mainly because you know when I spend money on something, I want it to be entertaining. And then other times you're sitting there going like, man, ah, uh, I can't get my three dollars back. Yeah, I mean, I will. I was. Yeah, I, I couldn't say that. There's. That I have a bad movie. I, I, I can tell you that, like, the, uh, uh, what's M. Night Shyamalan movies. <laughs> it's sort like, of. I'll just leave it at that. It's, <laughs> sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of both. It's, I want to, I really want to watch them. Every time one comes out, I really want to watch it. And then it, nev- it never fails. Every time I sit through the movie, it gets to the end of the movie and I go, fuck you! <laughs> I'm just. I want to. I want to punch punch him in the face. Right. You know. I think that's a that's a pretty common you know feeling. I, and, and don't, yeah. I like I like I like M Night Shyamalan, you know, to a degree too. You know, and but I I have also been let down. So, um, yeah. you know that no, it's that's, not even it's not even a let a letdown for me per se. It's and the more I've watched them again over the years, the more I've realized, Oh wait, these are comic books. These are what I I used to read when I was a teenager. This Mm -hmm. is a comic book because what it is completely, it's more a matter of, I really like the storytelling and the, the build up to this thing. And then the thing is like the most obvious, (laughs) you know, trite, yeah. trite like storyline ending ever and it's just like damn it you 
it's you got so complex and things got so exciting and then you went oh it's just a dream and it's yeah. like you motherfucker <laughs> right, right. <laughs> execution on that ending so, man i mean you got to follow through if you're gonna if you're gonna I, I think that's that's his purpose though i think that he does that because that's his story i i, I mean I, I i don't even think it's a failing uh, of of him you know, doing something wrong. I think that's what he's going for. And mm-hmm. I think more, the more I've watched those things over the years, the more I get it now. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's less, but I swear every time a new one would come out, I'd go watch it. And every time at the end, I'd just be so pissed off at it. <laughs> so well, I'm just saying, well, I, 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 and I do have, do have one other thing as far as, you know, bad movies. One of the things that irks me the most with movies, and this pertains to kind of our conversation is when they portray um, bands and recordings and they put things wrong. Like if a a microphone is an end address and they have it kind of as a side address, it it really pisses me off. Like (laughs) TV, movie, anything, like the accuracy of of uh, recording environments in, in, in media, uh, like TV and movie, it just it pisses me off when things are wrong in, in the studio. So. All right. so let me ask you a quick question. You know the old movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you I do? Think, what did you think about their recording environment? There's this one scene where they're recording the bass, the bass guitar, and uh, he's like, it needs more bollocks. And he's like, I don't know, man. It feels pretty raunchy in here. And you're just sitting here going like, what, what are they talking about? Like, what the fuck? You know, like, like he, it just sounds like, um, like there was some magical thing that they were trying to dial in that, that I don't, I don't, it felt more like they were trying to read from a page instead of knowing what they were talking about. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell what the hell they were trying to get or what point they were trying to make. Well, without having, without having watched it recently, I'd have to watch it again, but Honestly, that scene that you described, it sounds like, yeah, that's that's likely. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's happened to me before. <laughs> you, you you want you want what on it? I don't understand. Like, okay, sure, uh, yeah. There's a yeah funny story of a of a, a band that used to be local here that where they had a, a guest musician set in, and the, their instruction for him was. Play some fasty stuff, and then some mid tones, and then back to the fasty stuff. And I was like, "Wow!" And I can only <laughs> I can only imagine the uh, the uh, people who may not be technically trained or classically trained in music how they might try and communicate their ideas, and you have to make sense of it. And that must be somewhat tough. Yeah, and I'm sure that that guy did just fine with <laughs> play some fasty stuff, play some <laughs> mid tones. He, he knew what was up and what needed to happen. So. Right. <laughs> So yeah, there's definitely. I would say if there, if you have a fly on a wall in a recording situation, there's there's definitely times when that fly would just be confused as hell as far as what you were talking about for sure. <laughs> but but you know that goes into the thing I said earlier about you know you just have to to be aware of music and be able to communicate with people and understand that kind of stuff. So yeah, and then sometimes you don't like that instance. You know where they're talking about more bollocks on the bass. Sometimes you just have to scratch your head and twiddle some knobs and say yeah does that work and then they'll just say yeah that's great <laughs> you really really didn't do anything right. so well, uh, sometimes it is smoke and mirrors right right oh man but we don't talk about those times though so. right no no i mean they're 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 nondescript they're general we have whatever you know they're in the ether man yeah 
Um, yeah. So we got uh, Brad. It has been uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. We we really do Thanks, appreciate uh, you spending yeah. some time with us. Do you Thanks. do you have anything that you want to promote right now? Do you have a website that um, that you have, or are you involved with anything that you might want to point people to? No, I, I got nothing, man. Got nothing. Just work, work, working away. Um, I, I don't do any sort of social media stuff at this point. I'm, my wife constantly tells me I need to, and I'm slow breaking down to have you know some sort of online presence. But at the same time, I, I, so yeah, I, I got nothing to promote. You know, <laughs> and that's good. You're a professional. Not everybody needs to to put a a Twitter post every five seconds. So, um, yeah, I probably, I probably need to, but I just, you know, I, I don't have the time yeah. most of the time nowadays to do that. I, I leave that stuff to Fred because yeah, I don't know. And, and Fred does it I way lo- better. I have lots of free time at work. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and he also writes better than I do. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, if uh, if uh, if you do come up with anything, or if there's anything that you would like us to know about in the future, please let us know. We'd be happy to get everything out. Um, again, cool. thank you for your time today. We really do appreciate uh, you. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed it. So, so if uh, yeah, uh, Brad, we will catch you on the flip side. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Babe, my heart's just not in the right place Happiness slipped through my fingers again No use to pray, no way to hide Whiskey and sorrow make such a sweet mix You get what you get, and that's it Minute with Uncle Rob. We only have one rule. We're not allowed to talk bad about anything Mel Gibson ever did, directed, wrote, or acted in. As long as we got all that straight, we'll be just fine. The movie we are doing today is The Day After Tomorrow, uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and the other guy, uh, Dennis Quaid, which I'm not a big fan of. But you know the director, Roland Emmerich, from such movies as Godzilla, 2012, and... Independence Day, which is probably the favorite one of the four. Look forward to number two. Well, you don't exactly go to this guy's movie to learn anything. Uh, if you want action, buildings breaking, fires bursting out, you know, people just getting crushed and swallowed up by volcanoes, or drowned in the goddamn biblical, you know, a storm that Jesus sent. You know, this is the guy you go watch. Dennis Quaid, man. For the life of me, I can't see how this guy's made a career out of acting. Uh, he's so dull. Man, but that dude looked fucking 60 when he was 20, and he looks the same way. Even when he smiles, he looks like Mr. Burns. Like he's always sad. Dennis Quaid in this movie just blew dogs for quarters. Jake Gyllenhaal. What can I say about you, baby? I love you. 
You disappointed the fuck out of me in Brokeback Mountain, but I loved you in Southpaw, baby. Whatever floats your boat. Not that there's anything wrong with that, man. You know, whatever whatever you do, you do. Whatever I do, I do. But Jack Gyllenhaal, I do love you. Amy Watson. Oh, my God. Um, I loved you in this movie. My girl, I love you in Shameless. You make me want to be shameless. You know what I mean? Global warming. All right. Polar ice caps sinking, all that shit. We've been through it for 20 years, you know, or 30 years. Everybody knows what it is. So you got sinkholes, you got glacier caps melting. We have tornadoes and we have natural disasters, tsunamis, hurricanes, everything going wrong with the world. You know, this is, this is Mother Earth. I mean, come on, guys. Mother Earth. And let me put it to you in the best words I can. This is like a Mexican mother. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you go and she tells you, stay out of the kitchen until it's time for dinner, Michael. And you keep going in there trying to grab that motherfucking chip or go in there trying to fucking sneak a little bit off the plate. Mijo, stay out of the kitchen. It's not dinner time. You go back in there and she fucking turns your ass around. She swaps you out of there. Hijo la chingada. That's what Mother Earth is trying to tell us. But nobody's paying attention. You know what? Maybe we need one of these things in our life to be like the Mexican mother that spanks you on the ass and shows you your way right before you're fucking up. So, okay. Big part of the movie. Dennis Quaid... Or, you know, and this is how much he, this is how little he moved me in this movie. I don't even remember his fucking name. So we're just going to call him Disc Uh Realizes he has to go pick up his son because, I don't know why. Because he already gave his son the tools and the talent. You know, he's sitting there on the bench, on the bench of the phone, gun on the water. It's going to get really cold. He's already told everybody it's going to get really cold. Stay there, survive. This is how you survive. So why fucking go, right? What's the point, you dumbass, saying, okay, this is how you survive till the storm calms. And then they'll come get you. No, I'm going to be a dumbass and risk my own life. And I lost a buddy on the fucking way trying to save your ass. For what? I already told you how to save your ass. Speaking of which, when Dennis Quaid's buddy dies, traipsing across this mall and they hit glass, right? The guy breaks through the fucking glass with the sled and what do you know? It's the only hole that goes five fucking stories down that you could fall to your absolute doom. He couldn't have, he couldn't have landed fucking two foot more to the left and just... Fell in 12 feet and we could have rescued him? No. That's the glory of movies and that's why I love them. But setting that shit aside, another fault is the other buddy, which is the redhead that's infatuated with the Chinese woman and she really don't want to give him no time. He's sitting there on the glass and his hands are bleeding cut by the glass saying, I don't think I can hold him. Well, dumbass, look to your left or your right. There's big fucking metal beams right there, okay? Just sitting there. And that's what they're for. To support the fucking glass. All you got to do is shimmy left or shimmy right. All you got to fucking do is slide to the left, to the right. You ever heard the electric slide? To the left, to the left, to the right, to the right. Do something with yourself, man. And everybody gets to live. Okay, so this is my favorite part of the whole movie, right? Because you know I am Mexican. My name is Robert Rosendo. And when the, I guess the heir apparent to the throne, new president, is it comes into presidency, he goes... So he goes, okay, now we are being taken in by our brothers, uh, what we used to call third world countries. I love that saying. He was right on the money. And then he says, we have done it with the negotiations with Mexico to uh, eliminate all, all, and I repeat, all of Latin America's debt. I'm not just talking about Mexico, motherfucker. We fucking freed Honduras, El Salvador. And this is the big winner in the movie. If the movie was realized in like a real thing that actually happened. So only a few get into Mexico. Because you know half of America has gone. We let them all in there. 
Now you the one back, motherfucker. You crossed the goddamn bridge. You swam the fucking lake. And I know there's a few Mexicans. That, there's going to be a, quite a bunch of Mexicans going back into Mexico. They don't count because they're going back to the motherland, baby. Uh, So what happens to the top half of the country? Well, we don't. And we didn't bother saving the top half. You know why we don't bother saving the top half? Because in times of crisis, war, you guys are the first to go. The rich, the entitled, the police officers, the lawyers. We will crawl out of our fucking rocks that you put us under. And we will set us under the gods on you. We will go out of our way to kick you right up your fucking ass and send you to a painful, meaningless death. I was only kidding. You guys are just too far away. We couldn't get there. So, uh, this is different than your average end of the world movie. Because things are broken and they don't fix them. They have no way to fix them. And you can't even go get supplies or gold or money or, or anything worth value. Because have you ever, you know, just being the typical Mexican, have you ever left the meat in the freezer too long and tried to chisel that shit out? But it's the same thing, but it's on a more massive level. So America's gone. And we have to run to Mexico. For all you white folks out there, it's not going to be as bad as you think. So you're not going to have to sell chanclas on the street or fucking sell bubble gum or whatever all these people you see when you go over there. Uh, we'll find out. Well, you know, I don't know if we're going to find a spot for you. Because you don't have any money. You have no currency. It's all frozen up in America. Isn't that weird that we say that? We have frozen your account. Welcome to Mexico. You are shit. You sell the bubble gum. So the meaning of the movie for me was the guy, you know, so he cuts off the sled. He's about to die. The guy's hands are bleeding. He's holding the shit. There's glass. Glass is cutting him. This is what I love about the movie, bro. The guy with the beard, the big burly motherfucker that says, I've been with you for 20 years. I'm going to love you. I love you my whole life. Mary. The guy cuts himself off. And uh, I think it's noble. I think, uh, you know, at that point, if that's what the guy's character is or, you know, what they writ down for him in the movie, I think that's beautiful. You watch movies and say, man, I, I would have done that. I would have done that. I would have done that. Because it's self-sacrifice, and you love self-sacrifice. But, you know, we got to look at this Quaid's character and the other guy's character and this chicken shit. Because if I was on the end of that rope where the guy was dying, right? Or the guy knew he had to cut himself off and he's like, well, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to save you. I'm going to love you because you're my family and I love you. The guy decides to cut the rope. I'm not letting him cut the rope. I'm not giving him an option. I'm putting, I'm pulling my knife out and saying, if you cut, I'll cut and we'll both die. Because if you go, we can go. Either we do it together or we get nothing. I want to win it all or lose everything. And each person should love each other. We all should love each other. You understand what I'm trying to say? If you go, we all go. And that's it. That's enough of this emotional, sappy shit. This has been the Hot Mexican Minute with Uncle Rob. I play hard, I live hard, and the world's my fucking ashtray. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We are in our favorite part of the episode called... So, um, we, this is a part where we talk a little bit about what we're into and what we're looking forward to. Let's get right into it, Fred. What are you into? Uh, as of a couple minutes ago, I was into knowing that Burt Young was still alive. Burt Young. Burt Young. Refresh my memory. Who is Burt Young? Oh, come on. You know him from the... Uh, he played Polly from the Rocky movies, who we both thought was dead <laughs> yeah. recently. And then, thanks to the internet, or th- thanks to friends on Facebook, we realized that he celebrated his 76th birthday yesterday. Yeah. Our friends are really tracking Burt Young's track of celebrity birthdays. I assumed, uh, we, you assumed, we, I guess we both assumed that he was dead. He is not dead. 
He is uh, still possibly kicking. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, Seventy six ain't what it used to be. I remember thinking, you know, we're going to live into our mid nineties at least, and it's going to be a fruitful and productive life. I'm beginning to understand now that the longer that you live, it's just being trapped inside of a shell of a body. And <laughs> okay. I just want it to be over for me <laughs> before that happens. Um. Anyways, but what are you actually into? Uh, as far as things that I'm into, there's, I've got more things that I'm looking forward to than things that I'm actually currently into because I haven't, I haven't grown as a person since the last episode. <laughs> uh, one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to that I, I saw uh, late last week that, that kind of aggravated me but then got me really excited is that they're releasing uh, an extended cut of The Martian on Blu-ray. Oh, that's cool. Which like they haven't done stuff like that in a long time, where like they do like a like a special edition of, of a movie because they, they usually they give you like a year or so. <laughs> like Fox decided to give us like two months, and I was like, I just shelled out thirty bucks for oh, shit. the version I got. Now you guys are gonna do like a like a big disc extended cut of the movie with like actual special features, which is another thing they haven't they haven't really done on. Ever since like Blu-ray technology came out, where they have like all that extra space and they don't even fill it with like really cool features anymore. Yeah. So now this one's got like uh, audio commentary, uh, more documentaries, like NASA documentaries on the science of it, like full length, like documentaries that are the same length of the movie, uh, and it's like an additional ten minutes put back into the, the what was the original cut of the movie. Oh wow. Yeah, so that'll be out in, in June. Yeah, like cool. I don't know that that's really going to save it. We were we were really looking forward to that one. I think we did an ep- a lost episode where we dedicated a lot of it oh, yeah. towards that. Um, the Martian, great movie, um, but it it fell kind of short of the book. I mean, the book was fantastic. Uh-huh. So um, my kids loved it. I mean, the, everybody. Uh, I, I think if you took the time to read the book, it kind of set an impossible standard. Yeah. Because uh, um, what was Andy Weir? Um, he he's not a he's not a scientist. He's not an astronaut. He was I think he was like a, a programmer, and in his spare time, you know, wrote that book and and uh, and he had a lot of spare time apparently because he put a lot of effort <laughs> into writing and researching and doing that stuff. And he has a pretty good sarcastic humor. I mean, uh, I think I think it was just really well done. And and when it came together. As a film, I mean, the, there was no way to translate most of the stuff in there, and, and it because they went for a PG, and they kind of knocked the language back quite a bit, and removed a lot of scenes, and then amalgamated a lot of things, and it just it didn't drive the the fear that he had on the planet as much. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know that adding ten minutes back in is going to do much <laughs> for it. So, yeah, but unfortunately, since I'm a comic book nerd, I have that collector's mentality. Oh, it's just like, God oh, dang it. <laughs> you have to go buy a movie I need it. you already own. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll yeah. probably end up selling the one that I have. Thankfully, like eBay is still pretty good for selling used movies that people still buy. No, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize I just have that. to make sure I was just like, yeah, the digital version is no longer available because I already used it. No, oh, right. And people will still buy it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thank goodness. And then the, the main thing that I'm looking forward to that I'm into right now, and thankfully that this episode will be out before this actually, I'm actually talking about something that our listeners can, can anticipate, uh, can, can anticipate. That's not a Kickstarter account. That's years away. That's <laughs> but, uh, the, um, when is it? The 10th? Yeah. May 10th, uh, Kevin Smith's episode of the flash that he directed. Oh, that's awesome. Will be out, and that's what I'm looking for. I mean, 
I'm just looking, I'm just looking forward to it in general, just because I love that show so much. Like, yeah. It's probably one of my, my favorite shows out there. I think we've um, it didn't really need Kevin Smith <laughs> involved in it to be cool, but it's just something I really. I'm, I'm more interested in it because of the journey it took for him to direct it. Because like this time last year, he was kind of. Uh, like boycott like doing his own personal boycott of that show and all, all the other dc comic shows because in, in true kevin smith form uh he, he got upset at something somebody said and involved in the show and decided to burn a bridge between them like he likes to do throughout his career yeah which is why yes he's pretty much a loner when it like he has to fund his own movies or try to find uh, funding and other avenues besides the studio system. I have a feeling that's why I like him so much. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, because he, well, this is a case where like he like his he has that podcast Fat Man on Batman that he does. He has a co-host Mark Bernard, and he's like one of my favorite writers that worked on. He worked in like for Entertainment Weekly and like Starlog magazine and stuff like back in the nineties. And he's like a really big comic book guy. He's written comics also. And he, he all last year he was trying to get Kevin to watch uh, the Flash. Uh, and he he refused to do it because somebody on Twitter had tweeted to one of the the I don't even know if it was anybody directly involved on the show like a producer or anything like that but just somebody at Warner Brothers saying like oh man he's like are you guys gonna get Kevin Smith on on the Flash because his his humor would lend you know lend greatly to that show and then the, the guy responded back just saying no. <laughs> He was abrupt. And they, yeah, and then they just, you know, and of course they brought it to his attention, and then like he just turned, on, he turned on everybody like right away, and he was just like, oh okay. And so, like his reaction to it on on the podcast was just like, okay, they don't want my help. And I was like, what? Why would you assume that they would, like you would be able to help? Like this was a show that was already like the number one show on that network and really popular among fans. Right. And his reaction to somebody saying no was just like, oh, they don't want my help. Which is something he hadn't even offered. Right. It was just somebody that said that. And then like he spent like the rest of the season just like saying that he, he refused to watch the show or any show that like Greg Berlanti and Andrew Kreisberg, which are the, the co creators and producers of the show, but would watch just because he got butt hurt that somebody <laughs> just said no. So how did that turn around? Like where did they get uh... Uh, at some point well at some point like Mark uh, Bernard and the co host actually got him to at least watch the season finale. Because you know it was it was really good and had a lot of like throwbacks to the to the comics, which the show itself does all together. But like the it was a really strong finale. And then do you he, mean the, he, the season one finale? Or? Yeah, the season one yeah, finale. That, that was phenomenal. It was and, really good. Uh, so he watched it, and then like he did he did this thing where it was just like the teenage girl type of thing, where he recorded his reaction to watching the show, <laughs> and then posted it on YouTube. Which of course he cried because he cries at a lot of stuff because <laughs> he's like constantly high. <laughs> And then, like, so he became a fan of the show, and then we went back and rewatched the the whole season, and you know, kind of like tried to rebuild that bridge by saying, like, you know, oh, it's such a great show. Those guys. I don't think he ever mentioned the the person that said the no to him, but you know, he was singing the praises of the the, the creators and executive producers and stuff. And then at some point here in the last couple of months, they had uh, Andrew Kreisberg on the show, who's one of the you know creators and writers on the show. And he was really awesome. And then I think through that, it eventually became, you know, where they invited him to direct an episode of the show, which, of course, he turns into the Kevin Smith show where he's just like, like he didn't write the, the show. He's just directing it. But then, of course, he adds like there's going to be a scene that he took, you know, from one of his movies that he's playing homage to in there. And then like Jason Mewes is going to play a villain in the episode. What? 
and of course, and it's an episode because like at this point in the series, like Barry Allen doesn't have his flash powers. So I think by the time this episode comes out, it's still going to be the case or he's not a big part of the episode. Uh-huh. So it's mostly just like, like non superpowered people trying to stop whatever the villain of the week is. So I'm pretty sure it's probably like a heavy dialogue episode also. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Kevin Smith's thing. So yeah. Let him let Kevin be Kevin. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to to, to yeah. seeing that to see like this culmination of a year's worth of bad mouthing and then butt kissing. <laughs> what what it turned into? I'm really curious how that turned out. I'm sure it'll be a really good episode. I'm a big Kevin Smith booster and fan. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, uh, <laughs> I think back in the day you were the one because I I've seen Kevin Smith movies when I was a kid, uh, you know, teenager and. But I didn't realize the following. You introduced me to all the stuff that he did outside of film, like the the evening with Kevin Smith and all that stuff a little before. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, it was it was pretty uh, pretty interesting. I think uh, he has a lot to say. For the most part, he can be pretty on point. Sometimes he's a little I don't know, little self. Oh um, yeah, self absorbed, self absorbed, and he's got so many self interests that he's he he really focuses on himself first versus like anything else around him i just is why he's got like comics that are still unwritten movies that are still undirected or produced yeah and then retirement a, 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 lily pad. a retirement that he can't quite stick the landing for he keeps on like being done with things and then coming back you know yeah. so yeah. yeah no i'm i'm that's pretty cool i might have, <laughs> I, i've been a little behind on the flash so i need to catch up I love that show. I do remember one thing that, that brought to mind when, we're, when i was going through this this flash and kevin smith thing <laughs> Uh, when we worked together, we had that guy, Jim, that ran the video store, and he brought us a bunch of posters mm-hmm. uh, to to have. And I think you there was a, a clerk's poster and like some other posters, and you were like, well, I'm taking the, the clerk's poster. I hope you know. Oh, and, that's where that came from. Yeah, and then which was uh, cool, but I was just like, all right. All right. And then I took a, a Chasing Amy poster, which wasn't a movie poster. I mean, it, it was a, it was a poster, but it wasn't like a theater poster. And it's just a black and white poster of like Ben Affleck and Jason Lee sitting on the couch and Chasing Amy playing video games. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll take this one because it's got Ben Affleck on it. But I was just like remembering you, like when you you're saying like I introduced you to that, and you're like, well, I hope you know I'm taking the clerk's poster. <laughs> I think I can't remember. I, I think you had done something for Jim, and he was paying us back uh, in movie posters. Oh yeah, so I guess you got like first pick of the posters, and that's something. You yeah, yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> that was like fifteen years ago. Um, nice. Yeah, well, you know that so you, uh, still, you still have the poster there, right? Yeah, I, I actually do somewhere in my garage. Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, I would hate that story to be like, oh man, I traded that poster off years ago. No, no, we we were when we moved this uh, about five years ago. Uh, I came across that poster and I was like, where the hell did this come from? You know, like, <laughs> I thought, it, I always thought it was my cousin Chris that did that, um, uh, that had that poster and just gave it to me. That, that's what I was thinking. It's funny that you bring that up. Um, <laughs> now what, of course we're looking forward to civil war about to launch, uh, here yeah. in the U S I think it's in the UK already it came out. Yeah. Um, and, and it's all the reviews have been pretty positive so far. So uh, I'm super, super stoked. I'm just can't i'm beside myself i'm not gonna have any school uh to mess with this uh this coming week so i'm not gonna have my, we're just gonna grab the kids go to the theater we're gonna watch it and it's gonna be awesome so looking forward to it um and there's all kinds of speculation i didn't read the civil war comic from uh i guess what it came out in what 2007 uh so yeah I'm, I'm right there. 
So like I didn't read that series, so I I honestly don't know what they're going to do. But from what I understand, it's going to be a little different anyway. So yeah, it's not going to start because they don't have they don't have near as many of the characters um in the movie universe yet that that was involved in that comic. And I think the uh what what generated that the the comic book Civil War is going to be different in the, the definitely different in the movie because the characters that caused that that rift aren't even in the the movie universe yet. So hmm. Well, that'll be interesting. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of the heroes that you always see working together. You know, kicking each other's asses. You know, so it should be fun. <laughs> I like the inclusion of of Paul Rudd's Ant Man. Uh, yeah. I know he's kind of like a universally panned kind of superhero, <laughs> at least yeah. from the last movie. Mainly because the tone was different. I, I think the director just kind of made a few missteps as far as the scope of what uh, the Ant Man story could have been. Yeah. And so when, and when when that movie got messed up because of the uh, who was the original director? Uh, uh, it was Shaun uh, of the Dead dude. It, yeah, it was. Um, oh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, you know, I I think with uh, the 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 brothers, uh, what are what are their names? The ones uh, the Rousseaus. The Rousseaus are directing the this one. And I think in the right hands, that character can actually do something funny. Yeah, I mean, I Paul, love those Paul Rudd has pretty good timing, and he's going to be you know Jeremy Renner, and he's going to have all the people to work with that uh um that actually can play off of his skill i'd like to see what they can do with his character and, and have fun yeah, um, i want to see what they can do with the hawkeye character because i don't think he's been done very well under the hands of uh Josh Josh Whedon. Whedon. yeah and then then of course there's uh the addition of spider-man god sing yeah. the praises spider-man is back so we're gonna see <laughs> what happens um, with the inclusion of, I mean, the last few incarnations of Spider-Man have been kind of a letdown, and and maybe they're going to inject some life into it. Maybe we'll get the Spider-Man we deserve. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm pretty excited about that. I think it's weird that uh, Aunt May is played by Marissa Tomei now, which oh, is yeah. which is pretty funny because Aunt May is now smoking hot. Like I I've always been fond of Marissa Tomei. Um, think that's going to be awesome yeah i like them because now it's just like we don't have to worry about like some actress that we might be afraid will not make it to sequels like oh she's still fairly young yeah she's yeah. not like the old bitty with the tight bun like they have her in the comics which i think they've even like younged her up in the comics not age-wise but just like style-wise yeah yeah made it a little bit more relevant but you know I, i'm excited to see what's going to happen they've included it uh the the sony property into the the marvel cinematic universe for, through disney and um, that, that's, that's really weird that they've done that in this day and age it gives me hope that maybe, I mean, like, could I speculate that they might do the same thing with Fox and the X-Men for the, for the, um, Infinity no. Wars or whatever. I, I, I mean, I, I think they're doing too good at Fox right now for them to even consider just like, yeah, screw you guys. We'll, we'll do our thing. Because uh, that'd be, that'd be a lot of work to try to integrate. And in the Infinity Wars, two. I remember one scene where, where, um, uh, Thanos gets gets the gauntlet, and Wolverine tries to attack him, and he turns his adamantium into rubber, and Wolverine just completely collapses. And, and that would that that image in my head has, I mean, it's been there for like thirty years, <laughs> so, um, or t- twenty five years. I don't know when did that come out? Ninety two. Uh, sometime in the nineties. I have it somewhere here. It's not my favorite. Like I'm hoping they're not getting it from from that book. Yeah, from that source material for the uh, Infinity Wars because it's not extremely great <laughs> hmm. i don't know i love that one a lot actually that was shout out to my buddy jimmy he's the one who he was like dude check this out and he like gave me <laughs> all the comics to read back in the back in whenever i was like i don't know i was 
<laughs> it's probably about the same age as those ki- the kids from Ice Cream Man. So, <laughs> okay. So what I, what I'm into, um, just real quick, is the Chuck Norris versus Communism movie on Netflix. It's available now. It's rated, uh, you know, almost almost ten scar- uh, ten stars. I'm sorry, it's, oh, it's, it's, rated, it's rated almost rated R. It's rated almost. It's rated almost ten stars, and it <laughs> uh, uh, it, it is a film by Elinka Kellogg-Renu. Uh, who is a? She was a documentary uh, director. Um, she wrote it, and it, it's about the history of uh, of. Oh God, it evades me. But uh, it's one of the countries that was under communism during during the eighties and been you know under communism for like twenty five years at that point. And they were bootlegging videos uh, from the U.S. And it just generally tells the story how the seeds of of uh, capitalism and all the the Russian propaganda was demystified and they started looking from for things beyond what they were being told through their media uh, and what the the oppressive uh, the oppressive society was like during that time and and how they started to overcome it because of the, the things that they would see um, it, it also kind of delves into the story of this narrator her name was uh, Irina Margareta Nister and she was um, she was a voiceover person, so they would get these bootlegs of U.S. films, <laughs> and uh, she would she would literally translate over. She would overdub her voice over everything to explain the plot and to uh, to give dialogue. And she did this for like over three thousand movies. So she would walk in and record, and then do this, uh, and then and then do like two or three movies at a time. And uh, or at a, in one sitting, and then put they would dub the movies and then duplicate them, and then they would created this whole black market about it. And the, it's kind of like in some <laughs> points, it's a it's a almost like a an underground thriller because you're you know that there's a lot of times when they're afraid what can happen because this is illegal. This is illegal propaganda that's that's being in there. And the people would hold these video watching parties in their homes and they, they would sp- save up because a VCR at the time cost almost as much as what a new car would be. So yeah. they, they would save up for a long time to buy a, a VCR and then they would hold viewing parties and people would pay admission to come to somebody's living room and sit down and watch a Chuck Norris film. And and they actually liked a lot of the Chuck Norris stuff because of the idea of, of him never giving up and always facing like these... Uh, you know, impossible odds and then winning and it was really cool. Um, So yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And there's like a, there's like a whole like arc to it, uh, how they do it. And, and I I don't want to spoil the ending about what happened in communism during that, that time. But uh, Chuck Norris, he ended communism like Rocky. He did. Views can change (laughs) and eyes can change. Everybody can change. For my little boy that's watching this at home. I love you. Go to bed. Tell that robot to tuck you in. <laughs> we just watched that the other day. Did you really? Yeah. I love Rocky. So yeah, I know, man. Rocky's the shit, dude. Contest winner alert. Contest winner alert. We are going to go right into... The winner of the pick a movie for the Mixy Bros contest. Uh, we are we have just drawn uh, to announce the winner, and the winner is Wade Poopy Pants Anonymous. Nice on Facebook. Nice Wade Poopy Pants Anonymous. Congratulations, you are the winner of mm-hmm. two Mexi Bro Movie Show stickers. Uh, we will have those uh, available to you very shortly. 
Golly bones, man. Thank you, everyone, for participating uh, in that. We're going to have another contest coming up very shortly to where you can help us decide which movie we're going to see. Man, if my psyche can hold together to do another one. We've gone from like the difficulty of us trying to find one movie to watch together. Now we <laughs> we have a list. We have to come up with a list of three every month just to let the listeners pick one. You know what's? There's nothing better in life than making a simple task more and more complicated. So, <laughs> so wait. If you're listening to the sounds of our voice voices, uh, message us on Facebook. Your address information, and we'll, and we'll put a post out when the episode comes out to you know that we uh, announce the winner on the episode. So. All right. So uh, one thing I want to uh, let you guys know, I'm going to try something on uh, Twitter. And uh, but when I do this, it's probably going to be before the next episode comes out. Uh, but I'm going to uh, take a little uh, vacation later this month in uh, May, uh, around the uh, 20th. I'm going to go to the family ranch and do a, a bicycle ride in the local area and uh, around Beeville, Texas. Uh, but one of the things I'm going to do while I'm back at the family ranch, my cousin and I, who's down there also, uh, we do a thing where we like to watch like horror movies late at night. So I want to try to do something on Twitter uh, for our Twitter followers at the Mixy Bros. Be sure to follow us. Uh, where we're going to try to, or I'm going to try to uh, live tweet uh, one of the movies that we're watching uh, and just kind of get some uh, participation uh, with our Twitter followers. Uh, the movies that we're going to watch, we're going to watch two werewolf movies. We're going to watch uh, Howl. <laughs> Uh, which was uh, directed by the uh, guy that did the special effects makeup for the, the, the descent, which is one of my favorite modern day horror movies uh, about the little chuds and the caves. Oh yeah. yeah that's uh, so we're, we're going to watch that. And I think she picked, we're going to watch uh, blood moon, which is another uh, werewolf movie that takes place in the old West. So we might do one of them or we might do both of them as far as just like live tweeting our reactions to uh, these movies. If you guys want to follow along or if you've seen those movies and want to participate with us, but I'll, I'll announce that. Uh, when we do it, it's going to be around the weekend of the 20th. Uh, so if you stay up late and you want to uh, participate in that, uh, feel free to join in. But we'll we'll post more stuff on that as it, as we get closer to those dates. Just just a fun kind of a listener or follower participation thing I want to try to do. That seems to be the thing to do. Everybody likes to live tweet crap that they do. Right on. Right on. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll be posting that on to the Facebook and to the the Twitters and you can, you, if you don't have a Twitter account, go make one. That sounds like a blast. So uh, <laughs> I'll probably fall asleep in like two tweets into it. Cause I tried to do that with squirm. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get past like a few tweets. Yeah. Yeah. But that movie had horrible pacing. So you know, you sh- <laughs> this should, this should not be as hard to do as that one was. Um, all right, guys, man, well, uh, keep an eye out for that one. We can't thank you enough for all the support. Um, we've had a lot of friends that have, uh, friends of the show have posted uh, nice things about us on the on the iTunes, and it's really helped us out. And we cannot be more grateful uh, about that. You know that helps people find us and see us. Anyway, but we I, again, I just want to drive home to you how grateful we are for every listener that has been there from the beginning and beyond. And uh, we look forward to the future and what we're going to be putting together for you. Um, and to all of you people, I give the highest of woots. Uh, um, and a quick Mexi Bro announcement. We just wanted to congratulate one of our listeners. His name is Chris. Uh, he's actually he's actually my cousin. Um, more like a brother, really. But uh, he, he just had a baby. And uh, he and Kate are welcoming uh, Grace, Eva, into the world. We just wanted to say congratulations. Congrats, Chris and Kate. And I think we're going to try and find a, a Mexi Bro onesie. 
with that, I think uh, real quick, we just want to go on our out music here. We're going to hear a uh, final performance from Flip Coggins. Uh, again, thank you to Flip for doing, uh, spending some time with us and sharing your talent with us. It was really awesome uh, to hear uh, a local artist doing his thing. He's a, he's a really cool dude. And uh, I, you know, uh, even just hanging out with him is a lot of fun. So uh, if you uh, if you guys are down uh, for checking Flip out, be sure to go to his website, uh, flipcoggins.com. Uh, listen to his music. We're going to have a link to where you can actually stream the songs directly uh, uh, from our page. Uh, I'll ask him to see if he'd allow people to download it. And if he's cool with that, we'll have it to where you can download the tunes. Uh, thank you, Flip. Thank you to our engineer, Brandon Blair who uh, came in like a beast, set everything up, and recorded it, and then mixed it in like like no time flat. So we couldn't do this show without you the way we want to. So um, thank you again, Bra- Brandon, for doing everything that you do. And, of course, our guest, um, uh, Brad Bell, for talking with us on the Dirty Launch Pad. Yeah. Uh, man, enough thank yous for now. <laughs> um, man, I think that all that's left is for us to say live. Love. And Papa's. The Mexi Bro Movie Show is brought to you by Fred and Noel from the Bad Movie Mesa Studios, a division of Trucker Maker Productions. The Little Orphan Army is produced by Brandon Blair. Music used in this episode Ice Cream Man Theme by Richard Lyons, War of Nations by Flip Coggins, You Get What You Get by Andy Martinez, Oceans by Flip Coggins. Visit us at themexibromovieshow.com and thank you for listening. There's a little blues tune called Oceans.
So if I held you all about while that time, will it push me? Said it pushed me. Well, it pushed me in and out. Would you smile and say, "I love the 